passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to your AEW Revolution post-show. I am John Pollock, joined by Wei Ting, moments removed from tonight's Revolution pay-per-view at the Chase Center in San Francisco, California. How are you doing tonight, Wei? Doing pretty well, John. How are you? I'm doing great. I just watched a phenomenal show. I thought that that was, uh, I thought that was just an extraordinary pay-per-view overall. Yeah. And I don't think any of us ever doubted it. You know, like these shows are usually pretty high level. Um, we were critical, as were a lot of people, about the build to this. But I think when it came to Bell to Bell, um, no surprise. But, you know, just how good this Iron Man match was in particular, maybe I didn't even expect. Uh, there there were several. I thought that, um, like, honestly, I, I feel this was one of AEW's best pay-per-views. I thought that they uh, over-delivered on, on many fronts if... If you want to go with, I mean, the matches, like to me, there were no matches that did not hit. I would say at the bottom would be, I think Joe Wardlow had a very difficult time in, in there. But by the end of it, the night, I actually thought that what they did in that match was actually great. Uh, and then you had the women's match that I thought the crowd was into that one like quite a bit. And I guess your reaction is going to come down to the angle afterwards if you like that direction or not. But overall, I thought that this, pay-per-view over-delivered in terms of what I was expecting pretty much uh, across the board. Like, I had a pretty high expectation level, but man, and not to be lost, I thought that the eight-match format and one on the zero hour, I thought that was a great format. I mm-hmm. I found it to be a big difference. I know that it was unique circumstances with an Iron Man match, and we might not see this again, but for all that we talk about of... There's so many people, and we've got to get them television time. There's also the argument that for a big show like this to spread things out, I found this, there was not an ounce uh, that dragged for me on on this show. And I I was curious, because over the last year, the match totals, and this includes pre-shows, were uh, 12, 13, 13, 15 for Double or Nothing last September, and 13 for Full Gear. We had nine total tonight, including the pre-show. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Uh, I I don't know if I see the content length changing a whole lot. I mean, this felt was it wasn't it similar? Like, it was the same length, off? but I I found it to be a lot different when you know two or three matches are down, and I know that there's not like twelve ahead of us um, at, mm-hmm. at the same time. It's listen, I don't know if they're going to stick to this, but I found it to be you, it just to me felt a lot more spread out, and it wasn't as though they just dragged stuff either i just felt it was as well you you focus in on like you had stories for all of this your thoughts on it might vary in terms of the quality of it but i think it also um it just worked to me a lot better as a nine match show as opposed to a 13 match show certainly yeah i think we've we've been wanting that for a long long time something tells me that um they're going to want to keep 
the lengths of the shows at this um at, at the same ballpark and and i think that will probably mean adding more matches you had a 65 minute match tonight um but tonight i think just there's something to be said and something to be learned by um sort of like the the mental economy that i think you know a 13 match card demands of an audience versus a nine match card um that just kind of mental exhaustion of knowing that you have to sit through you never want a match to feel like you have to sit through it in order to get somewhere else so it, it you know it's like an album that's like you know a 10 track and all killer no filler versus you know a double album with with a lot of stuff you don't really care about would you have wanted to sit down for a 200 lap race today in bahrain 200 no not not necessarily unless that was well you know what like if that was like the novelty hey for one night only all these teams are going to race for 200 laps let's see the exhaustion that you know like are there oxygen tanks that'll be provided you know in the cars i mean if it's a special attraction then the answer is yes i don't need a 200 lap race but um anyway we will get into but, but would you have like a lot of people said that about the iron man match i don't i don't know how excited you know the general audience was for an iron man match when it was announced well that crowd was they were into it for there, there was no loss of that audience through those 65 minutes yeah absolutely so uh, as of just before the show, WrestleTix had reported uh, 9,000 tickets out. So they did move um, a significant amount of tickets in, in the, the last 24 hours. Uh, didn't sell out the Chase Center, but nonetheless, uh, a, a great crowd. They were into everything on this show. They were not, there were no lulls. And in some cases, I thought they, they lifted up some matches, but it was a great crowd in San Francisco tonight. Very much so. You know, it was a crowd that I think um, recognized that they were seeing something pretty special in a rare AEW pay-per-view. And I think especially that main event relied upon them to feel like it was a success and they completely played their part. You know why they're probably they were in great spirits? Because as they're leaving the Chase Center now, it's 9 p.m. The whole night is ahead of them. It's the benefit of the West Coast, isn't it? The zero hour, it was... Definitely the most unique zero hour because unlike what we assumed that they would throw in some other matches at the last minute, they left it to just the six man and Mm -hmm. the rest of it was anchored by Renee Paquette and RJ City. And it very much felt like that WrestleMania 37 with the rain delay where various talent got to go out and be interviewed and it felt completely improvised Mm -hmm. to the point that it felt as though... The wrestlers being interviewed had no idea what they were going to be asked, and you could see like the wheels turning on some of them. I found it to be really unique to see, uh, number one, how people would take to um, different performers in these scenarios, who they relied upon, and also putting uh, RJ City in a pretty big spot on the pre-show, which I I guess your opinion of him is going to vary based on if you're familiar with his content online with AEW and if that's what you want on a pre-show, but I thought that it added... It added certainly levity to the pre-show, and you juxtaposed that with Renee. But I thought it was a certainly a worthwhile experiment to do something different. That AEW shows it's cram as much wrestling content into whatever window we have, and this was the opposite, where wrestling was a sidebar of this pre-show, and it was mainly promos building up the pay-per-view. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was really encouraging to see them do something like this. You know, we had been talking about Ring of Honor. We'd been talking about, really, Rampage. And I think the general style of a Tony Khan show, that's not Dynamite. Dynamite is an exception because, you know, he makes time for, like, storyline and promos and things like that on that show. But for all of his other properties, including the Zero Hour, they tend to be wall-to-wall, like, action, action, action. And that, I think, fits in line with, like... mm, Maybe, you know, the tastes of a guy who grew up as a tape trader and really just kind of prefers the action. Unfortunately, especially for something like a kickoff show and a buy-in that, in my opinion, is designed to try to get people who are on the fence about catching up to your shows, uh, catching up to your storylines and getting them excited for the shows. Wall-to-wall action, I don't think, does anything for that. You know, Um, having one match with a purpose which we got, I thought, tonight. Um, I thought that helped. And I think showcasing personality and talking up the matches helped. Now, WWE does this, of course. You know, they spend their entire kickoffs talking about the matches. But for 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 a good reason, like, you could skip those entirely and not feel like you missed anything. And that's because those conversations tend to be pretty dry with personalities that, like, you know, might be okay at, like, you know, talking about a kayfabe storyline, but they're not really interesting you got real performance on this particular buy-in and performance in the form of like, you know, guys going out there and playing characters and improvising the way they would on Talking Smack or like, you know, even like a raw talk and, and things like that. Like the best type of, I think, talking only show that you could get with the added purpose of showcasing personality and also building up to the matches that you're going to see on the pay-per-view. Yes, it became comedy bar for 45 of these 60 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that they're finally giving RG City a bigger push, you know, beyond just uh, Hey EW. Um, I think he's, to me, like part of the reason why I wanted to pay attention to all of these interviews was to kind of see how performers would react to him. And because I knew he wasn't just going to do a straight up like joining me at this time type of interview, you you weren't going to get that a lot. But I will say, like, I feel like they need to find a better balance of, like, how much comedy to do. Like, I thought they kind of went to him with him doing comedy a little too much. And I thought there was maybe a little too much shtick, you know, at times when, you know, especially for, like, I thought it was a bit of an awkward transition going from, like, Adam Cole doing Hey EW to, like, you know, him cutting a serious promo. So I I, I think there's... And maybe you find a better balance of who works... Because if you're going to use RJ, you should be using him for, like, that is his unique skill set and how you view him. And maybe if you don't want to go that route with, say, an Adam Cole, that's what Renee should be there for to... Be the interview there. You can have more fun with a powerhouse Hobbs or if it's Orange Cassidy and Danhausen or like you have you have a range of characters. And like, I don't I don't want the two Renee and RJ to be identical. You want to have that range. True. But I also feel like RJ is probably like you and I know, like he's talented enough that he could probably play a more serious side to himself as well. And he could probably transition, you know, like from from needing to be jokey when he needs to, to allowing setting the stage and giving the spotlight for the talent to actually, you know, sell a story. So I look forward to seeing this format evolve like this was like a first attempt and I think very successful for the most part. I liked it. I liked it. it was something different. And and as well, the one match, they did it relatively early. This was like 15 minutes into the show, which threw Tony Schiavone for a loop because 
as we start this six man, he's like, we're 15 minutes away from the pay-per-view and Excalibur has to correct him. We're actually 15 minutes into the pre-show. Uh, we have 45 minutes until the pay-per-view and Shivani's just probably giving him the middle finger on, on the air. So it is Mark Briscoe and the Lucha Brothers with Alex Abrahantis against Ari Davari, Josh Woods, and Tony Nese. They have Mark Sterling in their corner, the Lucha Brothers in their uh, 49er, 49ers colors. And Sterling does his introduction of his team as they come out into the spotlights. And Mark Briscoe was very popular in this match. And a lot of the match was built around him. But uh, some great stuff here from the Lucha Brothers, including a maiden Penta onto Tony Nese. Sterling gets onto the apron and tossed into the ring by Penta. And he goes for a package pile driver on Sterling, but is saved by Nice. And Woods catches Phoenix's uh, Tornillo with a knee strike in the in midair, hits a corkscrew suplex uh, into the corner. Uh, Woods does, sending Phoenix. And then we get the... Uh, Mark Briscoe getting crotched on the turnbuckle. There's a Tower of Doom spot by the Lucha Brothers, and then Tony Nese hits the 450 on Briscoe. The Lucha Brothers make the save, and then we get a near fall on Mark Briscoe, who is still uh, alive in the match. The crowd starts chanting, them boys, and it ends with a... Fear Factor gory special combo by Penta with Phoenix's assistance to both Davari and Nice, and then setting up Mark Briscoe to hit Froggy Bow and pin Ari Davari in 12 minutes and 15, 50 seconds. I thought a very fun opener and our lone match on the pre-show. I thought it was like a, a, a really good choice of an exhibition match on a free show. Um, number one, it was really hot and guaranteed to be really hot with the Lucha Brothers and, and, and a Mark Briscoe involved. I thought you had a really good heel team that, you know, like are a team that you just kind of want to see get beaten up, you know, by your fan favorites in the varsity. What are they called now? Varsity athletes. Um, three baby faces that are incredibly over. No real storyline implications, but I don't really think you need that for a kickoff match. The value of this is to showcase your guys that will hopefully be some of the main characters heading into your next show. And that includes, you know, of course, the Lucha Brothers and definitely Mark Briscoe. I, I felt this was a really good match to really just kind of showcase him because you would expect that he'd be, a you know, one of the focal points of not just ROH, but AEW as well. Yeah, you got a lot of great stuff here. I was very impressed this week with Josh Woods between Ring of Honor, which I know it was, uh, well, it was taped last weekend, but nonetheless, he had the match uh, this week on TV and then his role in this six man as well. Tony Nese is a really great wrestler. He gets a lot of flack because he doesn't stand out in a big way, but he, he's very talented. And, you know, Mark Briscoe, a tremendous live event performer that this audience was all gravitating towards. And then you throw in the Lucha Brothers here. It it made for a really nice mix. You didn't have to have uh, a deep setup for this. It was a promo on TV after several attacks by the varsity athletes to lead to this. So nice opener, and they didn't crowd it with any other matches. There's a fear factor that they delivered to Mark Sterling afterwards, so maybe a lawsuit will be coming. Oh, one can only hope. And that maybe he'll try and sue for the contracts of the Lucha Brothers. Yes, right. So some of the highlights of the interviews, we had RJ City with Matt Menard, Angelo Parker, and Daniel Garcia. And RJ had to feel Menard's nipples. And because he cannot be ringside for Jericho's match, his nipples are soft tonight. Uh, Angelo Parker, his hair is a mess. This is really uh, causing him problems. And Daniel Garcia was wearing velour. And he says that velour is soft, but not as soft as Ricky Starks. And after Jericho wins tonight, they're going to have a, the celebration of a lifetime when Jericho walks in at the end of the promo. So I imagine Jericho was just 
like directing this or just standing there watching these guys cut a promo and then just walked in at the, at the end of it. So mm-hmm. they were uh, they were under the gun here to deliver a promo. How'd that feel? Yeah. Uh, Tony Storm. Tony Storm was not playing along at the beginning. There is there's the yes and method. And she was like asked like these questions at the beginning. She's like, I'm not answering that. And RJ's just got to keep going here. Uh, but then they this leads to a segment where Tony spray paints RJ's what looked to be a very nice leather jacket uh, that looks ruined as a result of this, unless he joins DX or something. I, I don't imagine he would have worn this leather jacket unless it was going to be spray painted. Well, maybe you know? this was Tony Storm's improv. I, yeah, maybe on some level. I think like, you know, even when, when watching like, you know, certain uh, people on Hey EW, you, you could tell like what are the personalities that I think fit well within that that sort of format and, and, and which aren't. And I think for a Tony Storm, like a person who I think is still really trying to find who her heel character is. To kind of put her in like a comedic situation where she also has to play heel, she definitely looked uncomfortable. And and this might be a, a, a situation where like it's not so beneficial to have this style of interview with her. Uh, Renee interviewed Britt Baker, kind of just focused on all access and the women's title match. And then RJ is with Powerhouse Hobbs and he's asking about the ring. And he said, can I see it? It's really big. And Hobbs played along here. I actually thought this was, this was a funny bit that they did and still kept the uh, the aura of powerhouse Hobbs as RJ is asking him, what's in the book? And Hobbs like, do you want to be in the book? No, not if it's a, not if it's something bad. I don't want to be in the book. I'll be an excerpt on the back of the book. Hobbs, I, I, I thought this one was really funny. I, think and I thought Hobbs got to showcase some personality. Hobbs plays along really well. I recommend the uh, the Hey EW with him and, and, and Ricky Starks. The both of them I thought were were excellent like in this sort of setting. Yeah. And then Sanjay Dutt came out for a bit uh, with, with Renee and essentially he said the suit I'm wearing now I'm going to have a different uh, a different suit for the pay-per-view which later he came out like in all like a Indian attire with a turban and he had said his family was here at the at the arena. So Anyway, that was uh, Sanjay's uh, contribution here. And and then Shivani, at the end of the, uh, well, near the end, explains the uh, the rules of the final burial, which we'll get to when we get to the match. And it ended with, as Way mentioned earlier, Adam Cole being interviewed after the All Access trailer. And he explains how uh, you're going to see my whole journey that I went through to come back from my concussion. You'll hear from my friends and family, but most of all, the fans deserve to see my comeback and rj follows up do they get to see you go to the bathroom and adam cole just turns into turns to the camera and says that uh he is not going to share who his opponent will be march 29th but he is going to run aew take it to places it has never gone before and nothing will stand in his way and uh, this became a very serious promo at the end by adam cole yeah, this is where I, I especially felt like tonally, I don't think it really worked, nor I, I do I feel like Adam Cole's, you know, should be, we shouldn't be thinking about like him in the bathroom, you know, when he's trying to like talk about his very emotional um, comeback as he's trying to set up this interview, um, this big promo towards the end. So I, I, I listen, I, I, I like the direction and I like the risks that they're taking now with this show. It's making this show actually interesting and worth watching. I think they just need to work on the balance between the comedy and the serious a bit, a bit more. 
All right. As we get into the main show, I uh, want to uh, thank everyone that is joining us live on the uh, the YouTube channel. Uh, please subscribe uh, to the channel. That is your admission here. And for our members at postwrestlingcafe.com, you have a call-in link that we will, will be going to your calls after the review of Revolution. So Also, video.postwrestling.com. For those of you that are video patrons, just go to the membership tab. You'll find the call-in link. We'll be taking your calls as soon as we're done the review. Yes, we are live after every show and back Monday night following Raw for those that are uh, stumbling upon here and realizing, hey, wait a minute, how did I get here? Well, you're here for life now. Main card starts off with Jim Ross joining Excalibur and Taz. So this seems to be the pay-per-view format way is Jim Ross does half the show and then he uh, he was in with um, Shivani. Uh, Shivani flipped Shivani Jim Ross midway through. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Jericho is in the opening spot on the pay-per-view taking on Ricky Starks. And it is Jericho that Jericho Appreciation Society is banned from ringside. And you noticed that this had been an updated graphic that they put out. Well, yeah, the initial graphic had uh, said everybody was banned from ringside. They specifically changed it to the JAS is banned from ringside. So I, I was definitely expecting um, non-JAS members to interfere. I, we kind of um, we kind of didn't get like we kind of got both, but neither. Like, we got a JS member interfering and a non-JS interfering. Uh, and then he was cut off. It was almost as though they were teasing you with some kind of screwy finish, but then they they stopped it from happening, right. and we got the, the ending that we did. But a lot of this match was built around Ricky Stark's injured ribs that he comes into the match with them taped up. Uh, crowd is chanting, let's go, Ricky, Y2J, uh, after Jericho misses a, with a lion salt, and all of Jericho's offense is... On the ribs, double underhook backbreaker, even going for for the lion salt, which he just did. Then baseball slides to drop kicks. And uh, Jim Ross notes that I was born just up the street from here. And Taz comes back. So the Oklahoma thing was a work. And that is a, a trivia note that Jim Ross was actually born in California and not Oklahoma, as most people wow. would assume. Yes. Interesting. Uh, the superplex by Jericho gets blocked, and he goes back with a, a knee to the ribs and a Death Valley driver by Jericho. Starks then comes back with a power bomb, and he leapfrogs Jericho, goes for the spear, and is caught with a code breaker. Strong near fall by Jericho. And then after Jericho misses an axe handle, Starks lands the spear. Jericho kicks out, and then it is Starks missing with the moonsault and is put into the walls of Jericho. Uh, attacking the ribs and Starks breaks out of the hold and gets into a single leg crab, which might have been the uh, the submission maneuver of the night at Revolution. This is when Sammy Guevara runs down and he gets tackled out of nowhere by Action Andretti, who sent this guy into another state. And with Aubrey Edwards distracted with the two on the floor, Jericho gets the bat, hits Starks in the ribs, and goes for the Judas effect, but Starks blocks the Judas effect, and then holds on to the wrist of Jericho, lifts him up for Rochambeau, and it is a clean 1-2-3 for Ricky Starks in 13 minutes and 50 seconds. Hot crowd to start, clean finish, and it's the idea of teasing that Jericho was going to get the win here and then taking people on on that ride at the end and Starks gets the definitive win that should put an end to this program. I thought a very solid opener. Um I I thought placement it 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 worked out really well. I mean, I think this match would have every match like would have been pretty successful, but like obviously I I wonder if you place this one after Texas Death how it would have gone. I think still pretty good, but like I think p- placing it in the opener certainly um 
made it feel more special. Um, this was a crowd that was, you know, really amped up and, and ready to watch this. Um, I I thought it was pretty straightforward, you know, overall, you know, a pretty straightforward babyface win for Starks. I love the way he blocked the Judas with just this sort of like karate taekwondo type of block. I've never seen it done like that. And I thought it was pretty novel. Um, perfectly fine match. And, you know, the only way you can go, you know, because um, Starks is your project and he needed to definitively beat Jericho, even if it meant it was a second time. I guess at the end of this, you wonder if the first win was was all that beneficial. Um I think you're also maybe left wondering, you know, in the future, does AEW continue to spend an entire pay-per-view cycle on one particular feud? Or are there lessons to be learned from how people criticize this towards the end about it lasting a little too long? You know, um, should this have been broken up a little bit more? Should you have delayed the feud like this a little bit more? Because as as I think satisfying as the match ended up being, I'm still left kind of wondering if it was, you know, worth all that time to finally get here. Well, I mean, the other argument to that is, number one, you're dealing with these longer pay-per-view cycles where it's not as though you can just wrap things up quickly. Like, you could have wrapped this up on television. The other is that, especially for a pay-per-view like this, where... To begin with, your pay-per-view slots are limited, and this one, you have even less matches. Jericho is going to be on a program for your pay-per-view. So if not paired with Jericho, uh, does Ricky Starks get lost somewhere else? At least he was attached here to someone of note, and it's a second win over Jericho. The hope would be that this program has at least kept Starks at a high enough level post-MJF program that you see him um, at, at this. At, he's at an elevated level now. I suppose the argument would be to delay the feud. If your ultimate destination is Starks and Jericho at the pay-per-view, then you start maybe a little bit later rather than, you know, as soon as they did. But, you know, we've seen like we've seen programs that last multiple like a whole year that are successful. So maybe it's just more of a criticism of the actual build itself. I thought it started off really strong. The entire program Um, certainly, you know, felt a bit flat towards the end. But I thought this was a satisfying end for it all. For all we wanted to say on our preview about, you know, getting some baby faces up and running for um, MJF, like coming out of this show, you have a lot of baby face options from Omega, Jack Perry, Ricky Starks. It's like you mm-hmm. do have quite a lot of d- different options. It's more so on the go. heel side, actually. Yeah, that, like, that might have been actually our discussion is maybe the, the heel side as I'm thinking yeah. about it now. So Like who are the heels now for all the well, baby faces to face? If you listen, like some of the like outside of MJF, some of like the biggest heel reactions are for Jarrett, Christian, and Jericho, which are like your older performers that are, you know, they they know all the tricks of the trade. But there's also sort of that dynamic with the audience of these people taking up big spots on the show that I think works to an audience as well. But you're right; it's. You know, unless they're looking at going that direction with a Moxley and BCC as a whole. Right. Yeah, they are actually. So, so that go. that kind of shores up your sort of, you know, secondary heel uh, uh, underneath an MJF. Mm. The final burial was the second match on the card. Christian Cage and Jack Perry. So as we assume, this was a buried alive match. There was a casket. It was more of a casket match than a buried alive match. Well, well there, there was no yeah. real digging that that was done. But we had dirt. We did have dirt. Yes, yes. So like sort of it, a combination of the two. Yeah. It was a, um, it was a, um, what, what could we call this? Maybe um, a the certain, final burial. The final burial. So 
Um, I happened to look this up because I was curious. Do you know that yesterday was the anniversary of Luke Perry's passing? No. Wow. Um, that explains a whole lot like of, of Jungle Boy's motivation tonight. Wow. Well, he was definitely making like these signals. Uh, look at when he came out. He like looks at the grave and he's mm-hmm. like he's, he's sort of like nodding. And then when he puts Cage into it. Like, he was certainly playing that up, but they never made that part of the, the story, even though mm. Luke Perry himself was brought up in all of this. To, like, Jungle Boy cutting a promo on thir- on Friday that you're going to go, you can go say hi to my dad for me, but they never brought that up. And I was just, I was watching the match just curious and looked it up, and it's March 4th, 2019, he passed away. Interesting, yeah. I mean, could have been a personal choice, like, you know, where they, they didn't want to be so blatant about it, or or or, or who who knows, Um but okay, that that certainly adds to you know some of his reactions tonight. Christian is out in his new wrestling attire of a black turtleneck sleeveless shirt. So if Steve Jobs had ever become a pro wrestler, <laughs> this would have been the look. Uh, yeah, sans like blue jeans, you know, and like white sneakers. But yeah, pretty much. I love that. Like even in a street fight, the guy has to keep the turtleneck on. It's a it's a wonderful heel trait. Perry is just in your traditional jeans and cowboy boots. And Cage is running through the audience. Jungle Boy fights up in up into the stands with him. And then they're fighting on the ramp and eventually return to the ring. And Cage blows a kiss to Perry's mother and sister, who are front row watching. And he does a spot where he steps on Jungle Boy's hair and pulls him by the arms. And Cage then whips him with his belt. Um, this is after Perry had had uh, smashed Christian's head into the steps, which was one of the angles uh, that they did, busting open Christian. So this was our. Did you keep count of how many people bled on this show? Because this was our first uh, our first juice of the night. I, I'm guessing it was like four somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah. How, how many liters were uh, donated tonight by the AEW roster? Um, I think MGF provided us about a quart in the uh, the final match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, Cage takes over, whipping him with the belt. Then he's choking him with it, and they make their way up the stage. The casket is opened, and inside of the casket are two chairs. So Cage brings them out, and he gets nailed by Jungle Boy. And Cage is sent off the stage, and Jungle Boy follows with a cannonball splash off this stage. And now it is Jungle Boy with the chair, but he is kicked in the balls and. Jungle Boy gets rammed into the casket and he's put into the casket, but stops from the lid being shut. The kill switch is then hit onto the dirt and he places the chair for the concerto. But Jungle Boy gets out of the way and Cage gets a chair. Jungle Boy gets a shovel and Cage starts choking him with the shovel after taking it. Jungle Boy then reverses and Cage gouges the eye and Cage gets the shovel. And, dude, he swung for the fences with this shovel. And it had to have been, listen, you better duck because if not, your head's coming off. He he swung this so hard. And it was not a lot of margin here for Jungle Boy to duck this thing. I would have been like, no, man, at the, at, or at least get your hand up or something. But they timed it well. But had they not, this this, this would have been uh, adding to the, uh, the blood donation list of the night. So after ducking the shovel shot... He applies the snare trap using the shovel, very uh, edge-esque with the uh, the piece of the chair, and positions Christian for the concerto. But before he can hit it, he looks up to the sky and then hits the concerto, rolls Christian into the casket, gives Christian, I guess, his last rites, kisses him on the forehead, 
slams the lid shut and the casket drops into into the grave and the match is over at 14 it, minutes and 50 seconds it was a pretty quick drop like the type of drop Dude, it was that, like the drop zone yeah yeah imagine that like imagine being like that's that's scary like putting being being put shut inside a casket and you're just suddenly feeling like a straight drop onto something so I, it almost looked like i don't know if it was like intentionally like set up that, that way but it looked pretty cool by the end um this was a really good match it really was. They they had to work with a very tough gimmick, like the the buried alive casket match stipulation. Like it was it was going to be tough, and you didn't want this to come off as hokey or comedic. Mm-hmm. And they just worked it as a violent, intense fight that had a definitive ending. And I would say at the end of this, like it was guaranteed, like the loser has to go away. This felt like the end of Christian Cage completely. Like, it, this felt like a goodbye. I, I don't know if it gets more definitive than, like, kissing a man on his forehead as you shut the coffin and he's Like, you don't buried. come back from this. No. And considering the fact that, like, he's perfectly healthy. Um, also, the fact that, like, it's, it, 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 it is, like, what, two years since he's... Yeah, uh, so you debuted? brought this up, so I was looking it up. And, it, I mean, at the time, he only said it was a multi-year deal and he mm-hmm. was here for the long haul. So it could totally have been... A two-year deal like that is definitely possible, and it's only going to fuel speculation that um, that you have the chance of getting Finn Balor and Damian Priest against Edge and Christian. Wow, I didn't even make you know jump to that, but uh, that that is very interesting. Um, yeah, so it's it's that's very possible. It'll be really interesting to see where Christian ends up, but he certainly went out with with a bang here. Um, I thought this was you know for a match that I feel like was kind of rushed in in reheating. Um, and the stipulation that really just kind of came out of nowhere, like they're they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. All of a sudden, we see this like gothy like emo video from Jungle Boy with Christian uh, Christian's name on a tombstone. For how quickly they kind of set up the stipulation without that much sort of context attached to it, I thought it, it, this match ended up really well, you know. And it was a really good storytelling type of match. And I ultimately feel like that's the biggest lesson working with Christian Cage has given Jungle Boy. You know, you had in Jungle Boy a guy with all the athleticism in the world, able to pull off just these incredible action-based matches even before he got into AEW. But this Christian feud and, and this connection, and I, I think has really sh- made him into a really well-rounded performer. This was a match that almost felt like a movie scene at parts, you know, where he had to do a lot of playing to the crowd, a lot of, like, emoting of, like, what he was going through in his mind and knowing you know that that real life detail john i'm sure he used that as motivation here um but even without knowing it you know this was a guy who had who he had looked to as a surrogate for his own father as a father figure and he ended up being somebody who turned on him and insulted his father and insulted his family in front of him so all of that rage and all that motivation was kind of bottled up into this particular match and that final concerto and then that final shutting of the casket both felt very cathartic because i thought both of them did such a great job conveying the story especially christian in the promos and especially jungle boy in the body of this match so i i certainly feel like jungle boy in a match like this was elevated to a different level that made him ultimately a more well-rounded and and complete professional wrestler this had a lot of difficulties with the christian injury throwing a wrench into the plan having Mm -hmm. to do that quick match uh, back at all out but I think for a lot of this story, if you just kind of isolate the key beats of the story and summarize it, I think it works out to be like a pretty well thought out program designed to get Jungle Boy to the next level. And I think coming out of this, you have that best chance to like this is a guy that comes out of this and could easily challenge MJF 
for for a, for a title um and be be in a position to be a, a key babyface at this point like this is going to be a very pivotal period for Jack Perry now that this feud is over i agree that he could challenge um i don't know how many people would buy a win from jungle boy just yet you know um feels like he like you know might might still be like a, a year or at least a few big wins away from that but a challenge i think would would probably be a, an attractive tv tv match and and yeah, with with Christian, like it, it remains to be seen, like what his status is, because, you know, just how definitive the definitive this was. I mean, this just does not seem like a, a character that was designed to be coming back. My curiosity is if on Wednesday, uh, Tony Schiavone interviews Jack Perry in the ring and says, you know, Jack, I was given this video and I wanted to play it for you. And it's Christian Cage on video stating, Jack. If you're seeing this video, I had to do this on purpose. This was, and he filmed this a year ago stating, listen, I wanted to bring out the, the killer that I knew was inside of you. I didn't know that you would mean it literally, but I know that if you're watching this, things did not turn out for me. And this was all my plan to get you to show that that killer instinct that I knew I could unlock from you. And I couldn't do it as your mentor. I had to do it as your adversary. So (laughs) farewell. Yeah. 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 That, that regal video is going to live in infamy in my, in my memory. That's like sort of like one big aspect of this, this entire like Brian MJF build that um, I kind of, I think they choose to, forget um selectively um it, it, they certainly shy away from bringing it up too often but i thought that was pretty poorly handled and in hindsight Sh- shivani didn't like, even want to call the regal stretch he's like oh the lavelle lock it's like oh yeah. it's it's for his mentor excalibur's like there's yeah, yeah. there's no territorial lines for me hmm. for my calling the elite and the house of black are up third trios championship uh, don Callis is on commentary and he's stating he is very nervous about this match and actually did a very good promo with renee on the pre-show about how you can't prepare for these three they're so unpredictable and uh, and they're also really great wrestlers beyond their personas so omega and buddy matthews start and it's a wrestling contest between the two and then malachi black is tagged in and before him and omega even lock up the crowd is chanting this is awesome and they saw this as a special match which with a lot of fresh interactions for the elite and conversely house of black in a big showcase spot and it really does tell you that the house of black have been not not realizing their potential yet when you see like this was as basic of a build as you could get for a trios match that it was, hey, we're doing this match pretty much. Yeah, I think a lot of that, though, was like purposely keeping them on the back burner so that you could get to this point, you know, because the pay-per-view is so far away and because you you had to do this match on a pay-per-view. You can't just do it on TV. Um, but, you know, it, it, presentation wise, like the House of Black, I think might be the coolest looking faction in certainly in AEW, maybe in all of professional wrestling and i think as a counter to like sort of like the corny like goofiness and awesomeness of of the elite they are a a wonderful counter i love that big like curtain like everything about their entrance tonight with julia hart uh, who i think continues to be like such a visually like perfect addition to the group um i thought was awesome made them just feel so big time I thought that they did a great job in this match, particularly on commentary, of elevating Brody King 
And mm-hmm. first of all, he had an awesome look, but they they protected him in this match. Like it took the three of them to to get Brody King into any sort of a vulnerable position in the match. And the commentators did such a great job of getting over his size that I thought that they like sometimes you just it's let's get everybody over. And it felt like there was a concerted effort. Like, let's focus on Brody here. Like, let's make him a central figure of the match. And I thought he gained the most out of this this trios match in terms of what he went into and coming out of it. This was like, you know, like a giant in a, being booked to, you know, dominate a Royal Rumble, except if this was a trios match. And I think the sheer fact that you had the young bucks both sell the fear of being in the ring with Brody King and not just that having to work together as you know longtime tag team champions having to, to pair up together and still not be enough and needing the god of professional wrestling Kenny Omega for the three of them to, to team up against this one guy this was like by far the biggest push and biggest spotlight Brody King has had during his time in AEW and I guess you know by extension in terms of eyeballs maybe his entire career yeah, and they, they credit, like, the changing of the tide of the match to when Brody King gets tagged in and House of Black takes over, and Omega can't execute the one-winged angel or Snapdragon because of King's size. So Julia Hart grabs Nick Jackson's leg from the floor on a springboard attempt, and it allows King to lift up Nick with the choke, hanging him off the apron as he did with uh, Darby Allen. And Matt then super kicks his brother free, and a V-trigger sends Brody King to the floor. So that was one of our examples of it, taking all three of them to subdue Brody King. And then uh, we see a pair of Snapdragons onto Malachi Black. Julia Hart is back on the apron, and after... Kenny Omega ducks a back heel kick. He goes for the one-winged angel. It's stopped, and he misses Malachi Black and hits a V-trigger to Julia Hart, who got knocked into uh, 2001 uh, in her uh, as an infant here onto the floor, uh, just nailed onto the floor. Well, Nick no, then- lo- no longer the youngest House of Black member I think we saw by the end of uh, this match. Oh, that's true. Uh, Nick makes the save. They hit Dante's Inferno onto Kenny Omega. Matt's in to make the save. It's Brody King with a suicide dive onto both Bucks, sending Matt over the barricade. And it's three on one against Omega until the Bucks return. Pair of super kicks all around and then a triple super kick onto Brody King, followed by a BTE trigger to Malachi Black. Matthews is now in for the save. And then the Bucks call for the Meltzer driver onto Malachi. But it gets stopped when Nick flips and rotates in midair and gets nailed with a Buddy Matthews knee strike. Black gets to his feet, hits the back heel kick, and they follow with Dante's Inferno on Matt Jackson, and Black gets the pinfall. New trios champions, the House of Black, an excellent trios match. They finished the match with Brody King's move. You know, they had already hit the Black match, but like the, the, the exclamation point was Brody King's finisher, and that's what I loved the most about this match. First of all, Sign me up for a best of seven between these two teams, okay? This match was awesome. I thought it lived up for, uh, you know, to, to all the high expectations that I think we would have had for this. Um, but my favorite thing about it was the fact that they decided to collectively focus on making Brody King a star in the body of this match. Um, I, I, I think, you know, you have a Malachi Black who is already seen as, as a, at a certain star level. I think Buddy Matthews, you know, he has notoriety from the WWE. Um and I think he's at least well known, but like in a Brody King, you know, you you in one match, I thought really kind of turned him into somebody to be feared, 
a giant that stands out from the other giants in AEW and the guy that I'm actually most excited about coming out of this match. So when you look at them as a collective, the House of Black were really portrayed as unbeatable as a unit here. You know, their three-way teamwork, I thought, and, and their pace lived up to the expectations you would have for a trios match set by, you know, the Elite and the Death Triangle as a complete package. Not only can the three of them wrestle, but they look amazing. So... You know, you you have now, like, I think the most worthy people to take over this trio's division, allowing the elite to now be able to go off in their separate ways. And I think at the very least, I hope that they build up to a rematch. Maybe in the meantime, give me Kenny versus Buddy Matthews, which is an interaction they teased but didn't give us a whole lot of. Um, but then you build up to a rematch and add the step that the elite can no longer challenge for these belts as long as House of Black has has the belts and firmly establish the House of Black as like these new leaders of this division. I I thought this match was great. Jamie Hayter, Soraya, and Ruby Soho followed that for the women's championship. We have Tony Storm and Britt Baker at ringside. They brawl into the crowd. Pretty in, it, the crowd was into this from the start and Ruby leaps off the barricade onto them. And as she got onto the barricade, um, the security guard had to hold her hand for balance. So get ready, Twitter, who are just going to uh, have a field day on that one. I'm sure hater and Soraya then drop Ruby throat first on the barricade. And there's a striking battle with Soraya telling them to stop. So they continue their attack. And then there's a basement Rana by Ruby uh, tower of doom spot gets executed by Soraya. And then she applies uh, the PTO uh, followed by the rampage. So again, we need some rebranding for pages moves here, which are right now just the, uh, Oh, <laughs> yes. Baker distracts, nails Soraya, and then hits Destination Unknown to Soraya, but Hater breaks up the cover. Hater then goes for the ripcord to uh, to Soho, but then it's Soraya that comes off the ropes, and she takes it as well. So Soraya's down in the corner, and there's a roll-up attempt by Hater. Soraya kicks out, or sorry, it's Soho that kicks out, and then Hater just adjusts and cradles her and then pins Soho in 10 minutes and three seconds, which it just felt like an off. Uh, the finish just came off as just ill-timed, I, I would say. It just seemed as though um, it did not flow very well for me. But 10 minutes, three seconds, Jamie Hayter retains the title. Uh, your thoughts on the match before we get to the angle? I thought the match in total was a good match. You know, I really like the pace that a three-way provides. It was pretty action-packed and I thought pretty consistently entertaining. And I'm reminded that, like, Soraya is still in the very early stages of her comeback following, you know, several years layoff. And I thought she did pretty well here for this style of match considering, you know. Uh, certainly being one of of three was a great way to kind of get her on a pay-per-view while living up to the very fast and physically demanding standard of an AEW pay-per-view match. Um, but I thought... To me, Ruby Soho really stood out here. I thought she's, I think she's been pretty awesome ever since she's come back, you know, from that nose injury. And I thought um, she carried her intensity and the tightness of her action really well. Um, but the standout continues to be Jamie Hayter. And I think she continues to prove why she should be the leader of this division right now. Her quick pace and the heaviness of her striking immediately stands out among the three. Um, it's a very fan-friendly style and, you know, probably one of the reasons why she's organically attracted this sort of a uh, babyface reaction. Um but yeah, the story continues, it seemed. 
It continues because Storm attacks Baker on the floor and then starts stomping on Hater. And Soho is just watching this. She's upset after the loss because she took the pinfall. And then Soraya joins in. Baker returns. She gets knocked down. And Soho is staying neutral. And then she finally gets up and she throws Storm and Soraya to the floor and yells, You don't run this place. This is our home, bitches. And then stands with Jamie Hayter before nailing her with no future and hits Baker with destination unknown. And it's unknown where her allegiance lies. Is she just on her own and she's taking out everyone? But in fact, uh, Tony Storm, who nails this cameraman and smashes it, uh, passes Soho a can of spray paint. And Soho spray paints Hayter and Baker. And she has joined allegiances with Tony Storm and Soraya. Yes. What what's the name? What are the what's the name of the group? Uh the Riot Squad. <laughs> the I don't know. Riot Squad. The Soho Squad. No, no, so what is it? Homegrown and what's the other what's the what's the WWE team? Um the I don't know, Ruby said just called them bitches. <laughs> they could go that, with that. I don't the think bitches. that's the name. <laughs> Uh, chat room let me know I've, the outsiders thank you nathan yeah is that are they actually Original. going by outsiders <laughs> really i hope okay not. i guess they don't so brian says they don't have actual names so maybe they'll come up with a, a stable name at some point um i have not been a fan at all of this entire storyline but i i like this angle and i think like soho's turn breathes a bit of new life into it for one thing, I think, you know, um, Soho needs it. Like, she's d- done ab- about as much as she could as a babyface. She's challenged unsuccessfully for the title several times. Um, and I think having another legitimate wrestler in the group helps kind of bolster them as a threat. Um, I really hope this is a fresh start for their creative because the creative has been some of the worst I think we've seen. But I'm willing to give this another chance because, I, you know, adding Soho to the mix means the baby faces are going to add uh, another name to the mix. And you have a lot of people out there that could use that spot. And I'm looking at maybe a Riho. Riho. I, yeah, I, 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 think- I, I still don't like the, the direction of like the, the homegrown talent versus, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's like, okay, we're the WWE talent. And it's, yeah. I just feel like they're playing on this a lot. It's not as though this story has has captivated people. If anything, it's watered down Jamie Hader's reign, which, like, in ring, like, this is the strongest this title has been presented, in my opinion, so far. I mean, she is having consistently great matches. It's a character mm-hmm. that has been brought up by the audience that they're really into at this point. I just don't think they're into this story at the beginning. Nor are you... Like, like, what is the motivation of the outsiders? Like, what, we, so that, we don't want to be here? Where so, we... so that is the problem, John. You know, I think all the pieces are there, and I, I think the talent's there. They've yet to really establish reasons why they are together. And it's weird, because, like, Saraya in her first promo in AEW as a babyface, I thought it was a way better heel promo explaining how superior she is, you know, how superior people... Her Tokyo Dome history sure whatever like people with her level of experience are that's the type of angle they should be you know that's the type of promo they should be cutting we've wrestled in front of stadiums how many people here have you know that's sort of like like playing to that a little bit maybe maybe not that blatantly but like you know what i mean um they're not hitting it super hard but in in a promotion that we have like mjf and eddie kingston and ftr it's like this i it's like (laughs) 
this place is we, we don't want to be here <laughs> like it just there is a lot of that and i don't want to see i'm not saying these three are really hitting that that button hard mm-hmm. but it's the collective of it all that i i just don't like the idea of you know our identity is we're from the big company yeah i understand but this division also needs something and and this you know all the pieces happen to be in place right now where you have three people that were former wwe people that you can argue were taking some of the attention away from AEW homegrown talent that were arguably doing perfectly fine on their own i think there's a good story to be mined there we just haven't really seen that good creative yet um i also wonder if there's a possibility that they might be building to either a blood and guts or a stadium stampede now that they're, you know, really kind of filling out these factions with the women. It's possible. Yeah. They, you know, it's typically a May event that they uh, go for blood and guts. It, it's, it's certainly possible. It would be, you know, a big challenge, but I mean, we've seen women have four, war, very good war games matches before. So I, I, I certainly don't rule it out. I would love to see Jade Cargill finally enter the mix, and I think she'd be a perfect addition to this uh, homegrown stable. For whatever reason, they've kept her so sequestered from the rest of this division that it almost feels like I'm watching a different show. This will give her relevance and actually give her something beyond just you know this win streak that I think has. It's, it's a good idea. She, she should get injected into this. It would be helpful. Hangman Page against John Moxley in the Everybody Bleeds match, our Texas Death Match, and this. This was incredible. If you if you are mm. into violent spectacles, I thought this was excellent. Yeah. Uh, Page jumps him as Moxley is making his entrance, and we get right into it. We're but, introducing. But by the way, so it's basically a last man standing match. That's that's what yeah. Texas Death is. Texas Death Match. Yeah. Uh, Moxley brings out barbed wire immediately, and they're fighting over it, and. Page drives the the barbed wire into Moxley's forehead, and the dude starts bleeding on screen. Like John how many Moxley, minutes? were you counting? John? Oh, it was within five. He was he was bleeding here. Uh, Page then wraps it around his foot. Moxley gets a fork, and he ends up applying a triangle and stabs him with the fork. Abdullah was not ever doing that that I can recall. Yeah, did did Halio uh, invent this one? This would be, you know, the fork triangle. It would only be behind closed doors. Uh, <laughs> maybe this is what uh, uh, I saw Ori- the Meow Brothers do this uh, once. Yeah. So Page then uh, he he gets his forehead all carved up. Uh, Page then misses Moxley and runs into a barbed wire chair in the corner. We also had a barbed wire table set up on the floor. Tons of barbed wire throughout this. Um, Moxley brings out a uh, Quentin Jackson's chain and two bricks it's about time we get some bricks involved in these matches we see cinder blocks bricks are 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 sort of an unusual choice and and i think um should be i hope to see more of them after this yeah also not lego Lego bricks but not real bricks yes we we also have not got enough men's uh, hands squeezed between bricks so he put hangman's hand between the two bricks he made a hand sandwich and (laughs) stepped on the brick and followed it with a pile driver on the chain. Then the uh, barbed wire board is placed onto two chairs on the floor, and it's Paige with a backdrop suplex and a lariat, finally stopping Moxley's attack, and he 
dr- dumps Moxley with a fallaway slam onto a barbed wire chair, followed with a dead eye on the chair with Moxley still getting up from the count. So Paige puts him through the barbed wire board on the floor with a Pescado and Moxley yells out, oh boy. And the barbed wire is, this dude doesn't wear a shirt for these, so he's pulling it from his skin. I mean, it was, um, this was not for the faint of heart, to say the least. All this shit we're describing right now, it paled in comparison to me than these guys giving each other legit nails to the back and just digging their nails in. And, dude, especially Mox is like he's clawing it with these barbed wire cuts on his back mm-hmm. that to me was the that was the hardest part to watch of this whole match like i can take stomps on bricks barbed wire this but man those nails to the back i mean it was like that's like the easiest old school pro wrestling move and but the key is you don't really do it and these guys were like let's let's fucking claw each other's backs off okay it was, let's do it and it's because of of the barbed wire like you know wounds that were already there absolutely to me that's like that's professional wrestling right there when you can get away and get a big reaction for doing something that hopefully doesn't hurt that much page is on the turnbuckle and he gets knocked off by moxley and he does a flip through this barbed wire board on the floor and he came down at a just he was like coming down head first towards this as he breaks this board like it looked pretty scary Mm -hmm. as he's coming down um then the two make it make their way back into the ring. They're battling it out. Buckshot Lariat gets ducked, and Paige is hit with a Death Rider, and that's followed with a stomp onto a brick by Moxley, uh, giving a shout-out to his former S.H.I.E.L.D. buddy. Rear Naked Choke is applied by Moxley, but then he lets go. Paige comes back with a Lariat, and he stacks the bricks on their side because a regular brick, it's just, it's just not enough. you got to put them upright. And the Deadeye and Death Rider get blocked, Choke is applied by Paige, and he wraps the chain around Moxley, and Moxley breaks free with a low blow, and the crowd boos John Moxley when he goes to the groin. So Paige blasts him with the brick. Moxley gives the middle fingers as the buckshot is hit, and he's got the chain around Moxley's neck, and he proceeds to hang him over the top rope. So the hangman wins by Mm. hanging a man as Moxley taps in 26 minutes and three seconds, a very significant finish for John Moxley to tap out. And mm-hmm. as much as we talk about all the different baby faces that came out on top, um, Hangman Page was at the top of it in terms of your your contender, I would say. Of the, yes. But a lot of interesting options that you have of a very deep baby face uh, side of things. Yeah. I think this feud has completely reheated Hangman Page back up into title contention. I mean, he's a guy, like prior to that concussion, that he had with Mox, and I don't know if that Mox match was meant to be, it was meant to go this far, and I don't know if it was meant to have Hangman Page come out on top at the end of it all. But um, what happened happened, and they used it to their advantage. And at the end of it, Hangman Page is as hot as I think he's been in really quite some time. So I, I would definitely you know pair him up with MJF sooner than later. Um, this match was incredible, as bloody and violent and as gruesome as you would expect. I I thought it had some really brilliantly, creatively, beautifully executed spots. There was a lot of beauty in this very violent, bloody match. The use of the bricks in particular for for the stomp and the hand sandwich, I particularly loved. I loved Paige's fall away slam and dead eye onto the barbed wire chair. Really, like, this is the type of match that you could tell John Moxley lives for. 
you know, especially impressive is I think how good Paige has blended with that brutal, violent, bloody, hardcore style that Moxley has kind of introduced. Um, his intensity, I think, has been really, really strong as well. And in terms of story, I felt this match firmly drove Mox into heel territory with Claudio and now with Yuta when he hit that low blow. I mean, the crowd is okay with bricks. The crowd is okay with, you know, all like whatever you want to do, barbed wire, nails on, on the back of a guy. But the moment you hit a low blow behind a rest back, there's no nobility in that. And this was when the crowd, I felt, turned on Moxley in favor of Paige. So um, I think it sets Mox up pretty well for, you know, a, a heel run. And this felt like a very satisfying closer. The way that, like, a Briscoe's FTR dog collar match felt like a very satisfying closer. So, yeah, really wonderful series. Yeah, I felt very similar to watching the dog collar match as I did this. I, I feel like this is a match of the year contender. I thought it was excellent. Um, for this style of match, I thought it was terrific. Great blow off to the program. You have a really strong baby face and hangman page coming out of this. It, it was just a wonderfully constructed match uh, delivered on the stipulation in a big way. A lot of creativity that went into this and both were excellent in, in it. So uh, a hell of a match that these two had and 26 minutes, no less. Wow. Samoa Joe and Wardlow for the TNT Championship is after that. Uh, we have Wardlow early on hitting and, a... And, and let's talk about this. You know, the match order, I think, was heavily debated. Um, a lot of people were campaigning for Brian and MJF to, to start the, the pay-per-view and at least wondering where Texas Death was going to be because we knew that was going to be tough to follow. They decided to put two matches in between Texas Death and the Iron Man match, saving the Iron Man match for the last, putting Samoa Joe and Wardlow in arguably the most um un uh it was it was the it was the toughest spot on the card because nothing was following the iron man match yeah by far yeah it was it was it was certainly the one where like if the audience dipped and i would not say they they were like down for this match but they were down from the previous match for sure um powerhouse hobbs is shown watching in the uh in the arena and the crowd does start chanting wardlow and when i heard those wardlow chants i mean it does really ring true of where this guy was a year ago and those Wardlow chants that were deafening when this guy was at, at, at his peak. And it certainly cooled off from that period. Joe uh, sweeps out the leg and Wardlow's fighting back, hits a swanton. And then it's the coquina clutch by Joe that Wardlow fights and he's starting to fade when he gets to the rope. And Joe is signaling for his own uh, symphony and Wardlow stops the power bomb, locks on his own version of the coquina clutch, rear naked choke, and he yells at Joe, die. And Joe is in this coquina clutch. And I don't think anyone was ready for this because the arm goes up once, twice, and on the third time, it goes down. And this is a very rare finish in pro wrestling that the arm goes down 10 minutes and 41 seconds. Wardlow is the winner. And then you can see him. He is scouring this arena. Where is Powerhouse Hobbs? And then he finally, he sees that sonic ring in the distance and locks eyes with Hobbs, which is the match on Wednesday. So I, I did not think that this uh, stood out as one of the uh, the better matches on the card. It was certainly, I think the audience dipped a bit. And I don't think they were ready for that finish either. That said, 
when they did the tease uh, in the sudden death with Danielson's arms being brought up, I thought it made this finish even better that they almost did this to Mm -hmm. make that drama uh, accentuated in the sudden death. And it it worked for me. So I I enjoyed this finish more when I knew when I saw that spot happen later in the main event. Mm -hmm. I think when we were thinking about like a possible buffer match between Texas death and Iron Man, um, you, you know, you and I had both, I think rightfully, you know, assume that the tag team match would be there because it's, it contains sort of like your comedy characters. I don't, I certainly didn't expect Wardlow and Joe to take that spot. And you wonder why. And you see the result. And this could very well be the exact reason why. I mean, this was almost a sacrifice play, in my opinion. Anything you were going to put in this spot after Texas death was likely not going to receive, you know, the reaction that it would if it was, you know, starting the show, for instance. But I think not only was it was this there to, you know, give you more buffer time between the two, but it might have been there to establish the believability of the arm raising um, in a submission. And for that reason, I can understand uh, if that is in case, you know, what, what they were go- going for. Uh, I may be effective. Um, you can argue whether or not, you know, somebody like Wardlow should be kind of put into this position, um, whether or not somebody like Simone Joe should be, you know, tapping out like this. But um, ultimately, I I respect the play if that was the intent. Yeah, it was, I would say just, Bell to bell, the actual match itself. I, I would not say that this one was one that exceeded your expectations going in. And it's a big match on Wednesday for both Wardlow and Hobbs. Like that's that's a big one for for both of them to go out and have a, a great match. Mm-hmm. So second from the top before the Iron Man match is the tag title match with the Guns, Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, the Acclaimed and Orange Cassidy and Danhausen. We have Cassidy and Danhausen in matching black outfits and. Danhausen wearing sunglasses uh, on his way to the ring. Max does his rap uh, about giving golden showers. Um, the guns are the weakest champs that dress like single moms. And Jeff Jarrett forgot his Cialis. As they threw Cialis at him. Yeah. yeah great. Jarrett does the strut at the beginning, gets a lot of heat for that. And then the acclaimed uh, do the scissor me timbers onto Dutt. Big chance of ass boys throughout the match. We got a four-way strut with the Guns, Jarrett, and Lethal for a uh, a mini alliance that they had until the Guns ended up breaking the alliance. And then Satnam Singh enters the ring, tosses the Guns over the top, so Danhausen stands up to Satnam Singh. The crowd is into this. Dutt intervenes, and Danhausen snaps his pencil before he gets dropped. Uh, there's an orange punch and a low blow to Sutnam Singh before Billy hits the Famouser on Sutnam, and then the Guns hit a low blow to their own father. Uh, we see an arrival on Austin, followed by the mic drop, but Colton tackles Bowens to break the pin. Jarrett gets the guitar, and Max Caster ducks it, gets the guitar, but gets warned by Aubrey Edwards. So I guess there are DQs in, in this four-way? Um... I guess it's a good question. Like, I don't think you'll get DQ'd, but they can, um, it's frowned upon. And if the referee has any power, they'll take away the weapon. That's kind of what I took from it. Okay. I don't well, know. She, she took it away and that made, that led to, you won't believe it. An AEW referee's back turned and missed, uh, the golden globe shot followed by the stroke onto Max Caster for a big near fall. Jarrett then yells at Aubrey, shoves her, so she shoves him back, and it leads to a blind tag to Austin Gunn, who is in with Danhausen. Danhausen hits a German, misses with the pump kick, and the Guns hit 310 to Yuma and retain the titles in 1321, Danhausen taking the pin. 
I, again, you know, you have to look at a match like this in the context of this entire show. And as not just a buffer match, but a match to kind of create some levity on the show, I thought it was a pretty entertaining and successful match for that reason. Um, the crowd was really reactive throughout this entire thing. And I think that's especially commendable given this was three hours into the show at this point. Um, it tells you how strong the personalities attached to this are. I continue to find like these especially with the guns you know defending these are title matches that are stepped down from what AEW has kind of like established for itself you know um it's this is not the bucks versus the lucha brothers this felt to me almost more like a tv match than something that's worthy on a pay-per-view but you can argue maybe for a buffer match you want something that feels more like a tv match than something that's completely emotional and exhaustive like bucks versus lucha brothers so it, it, it depends how you look at it but i would classify this as effective and successful it kept the audience. It was like you had enough of the different characters. Like it wasn't like like a blowaway match, but it served its purpose. I I thought on on the show. And again, this was more so leading to an angle afterwards as Renee enters the ring. So you know something's up, and the crowd is booing the guns. They list off all the teams they've beaten and call themselves the best team in the world. When FTR arrive and they end up hitting a spike pile driver to Colton and then a shatter machine, which is what it was called here on the broadcast by Excalibur. And in all of this, Dax I'm guessing Har- he just forgot that they call it the big rig. But, uh, probably. Yeah. Um, but in all of this, uh, Dax Harwood uh, gets hit hard way and dude was like bleeding from the whole side of his head here. Yeah. So add that to the tally of uh, people that bled on the show. A lot of blood on this show, mm-hmm. and the, and they grab the tag titles at the end. So clearly going towards a guns FTR match. So we'll find out at the end of this feud if they're sticking around. Yes, MJF Brian Danielson Iron Man match is our main event, and we have Danielson come out, and MJF before he enters, we get a a choir of devil worshippers out here as they're playing violins, cellos. And I thought this was like a really relaxing tune that they were playing before MJF's like obnoxious music. Just they goes were over playing the MJF's theme. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was really nice. It was like the uh, the the acoustic version. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, MJF then comes out in a white devil mask, and the same one he had uh, for the um... for the the punk deal at the end of uh, All Out. No, for what? Yeah, when he won the the chip. Yeah. So MJF drops his belt as he's being introduced in the ring and the crowd just jumps on him over it. And they note as well that Bryce Remsburg has been training for this match, which they, they gave this guy a workout for some of these sequences. He looks to be in pretty good shape almost all the time. He's like one of the more active referees. Well, he was yeah. um, you know, he, he was up for these 60 minutes, man, and they mm-hmm. he was all over the place. So early on, the two are matching one another, ending with dueling kip-ups. So the crowd's getting to their feet, and MJF offers his hand, and Danielson kicks it away. And we see MJF hop the barricade, dump some trash onto fans, and then takes a kid's drink, and he pours this drink onto this child. And this was a very debated spot. Um, he took the mother's drink. I, it looked to be clear, so I'm, I would assume water. And he dumped it on the child. And what sort of debate was registered here as a result of that? Well, um, Tony Khan was saying they had a they had a real discussion about this uh, uh, backstage. Uh, I guess in, insinuating that this was this was not a planned uh, uh, spot or something with a with a kid. Oh, okay. Um, 
I don't know if I even buy that. Like this, this felt like like a like a really obvious plant, but um, you would think so. Yeah, I don't um, know. Okay, but MJF looks into the camera and says, "Oh no, is this going to cost me a star, Dave? Maybe I won't win the Brian Danielson Award." He probably won't. Probably um, not. Yeah, that's probably going to Brian Danielson again next year. But I, I anticipate this to get plenty of stars. MJF is in control, and he's working over the injured shoulder of Danielson. And then Danielson responds with a suicide dive, but in doing so, runs into the barricade. And MJF continues the attack. And the clock is showing up on the screen inter- intermittently, but they've also got the... Uh, they, they had the scores on the screen. I don't know if they had the clock up in the, on the screen the whole intermittently. time. Intermittently. Yeah. No, not but, the whole time. Um, but, for, but for those in the arena, yeah, I think it was kind of in and out as well. Um, Danielson hits a sunset bomb, and then we have Danielson skin the cat but gets drop kicked to the floor, and MJF does his Shawn Michaels heartbreak kid pose right in the center of the ring for everybody. And with that... He felt like he was Shawn Michaels as he went for an Asai moonsault and jams his knee upon landing. And this became Danielson's target for the whole rest of the match. And I thought I thought MJF did a phenomenal job selling this knee. Even like you and I will we'll be critical when someone's selling the knee and then they do something stupid that goes against it. Like MJF would do things like the tombstone, but he played it up so big. Like I hit this tombstone, but now my knee is totally screwed from doing this. And he just sold it throughout the whole rest of the, the way. So the psychology was fitting for, for the entire match. Yeah. This was also a knee injury that he had initially tried to sell after the Takeshita match, after he did the power bomb onto right. the knee and sold it right. and taped it up for the, for the remainder of that show. Um, so I, I didn't think that he would bring it up, but you know, evidently that was maybe always the plan with that setup. But by the way, people are saying like uh, there are people reporting it from in attendance that the mom was pissed and had to be talked down. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess sure, very legit, uh, possibly that spot. It was brought um, up at the press conference, but we're not watching the press conference, so I can't really speak to what was said. Um, Danielson comes off the top, and MJF catches him in the salt of the earth. But Danielson roll, rolls through, and MJF ca- captures him into a pump handle driver and do Taz's reaction to this. Like he apparently like jumped as Excalibur notes because of the angle. He came down on his neck as a guy that's also broken his neck. A very, very dangerous Ugh. move. It's, it's, it's one that I believe he used to do uh, use like on the Indies, the, this half Nelson pump handle driver, v- very scary, especially when it's a guy like Brian, but you know, Ugh. they, they executed it. Yeah. And then they are doing these rolling inside cradles all over the ring, these nonstop reversals of sunsets, and then the rolling covers continue. Awesome sequence. And then a clothesline, a double clothesline, puts both men down. The crowd is applauding this. And with that, Danielson rises to his feet and lands the Busaiku knee to get the first fall of the match at 25 and a half minutes. Uh, what did you think of this match by the, uh, by the first fall? Well, first of all, I want to talk about like the match order and the fact that we were about to watch an Iron Man match, what, like three, three plus hours in? When did this start? Like 11? Around or 10.45. 10.45, okay. So if you're counting like the when we first saw that buy-in match, I mean, it was like an hour and a half into the sh- Sorry, three and a half hours into the show. Mm-hmm. I was, by the time this match began, I was not tired. I was not dreading it. Like, and and I think it it tells you how great this the rest of this show was. The fact that it it was not a bloated feeling show by the time we got to this point. And I think for me, it it, it was the grandiose stature of an Iron Man match that was enough for me to like be excited and energetic for it. Um, 
I thought it was really strong. You know, I thought the character work was strong. I thought the body part work was strong. And I thought establishing MJF as at least at the early stage, a technical equal to Brian Danielson before he had to resort to, you know, cheating, of course, and, and underhanded moves. I thought it was very entertaining. 35 minutes, I think, is a very understandable and justifiable point where somebody would eat a pinfall. So Danielson is up one nothing, and MJF collapses before he can take a follow-up with Saikuni. And an element of this match is that there were no rest periods. So psychologically, you have to work that into the match, too, that if you have the guy beat, there's nothing preventing you from continuing to go for a cover or keep a submission uh, or go back to a submission. So you had to work that in, too. Like, it made no sense to just go to your neutral corner or something like that. So MJF that lands a low blow uh, and for this is disqualified, uh, but with the low blow, he gets two successive falls on Danielson. So all of a sudden, it is 2-2 between them. I, I kind of feel like this whole portion could have maybe been better communicated with the help of like a ring announcer or something like the way they did this match. They didn't really have the ring announcer do any live updates. It, they just simply popped the number uh, you know, on the screen. And those of us at home, like obviously have the benefit of a, of a commentator. But I imagine like if you're watching live, um, all of a sudden there's in the, you know, in the span of like 30 seconds, a DQ and then two pinfalls. And all of a sudden the score goes from zero one to two, two. It, it might be, you know, it might have been uh, uh, the flow of it might have been improved, improved a little bit more with some sort of like other signifier. Um, but I'm sure by the end, everybody understood. Well, yeah, the, the low blow was right in front of Bryce. So maybe people connected the dots on that. But as well, like we see a lot of uh, times. We times see a lot of low blows. AEW and, and referees uh, yeah. are, are just watching stuff. Something just to kind of officially recognize that this was a decision, you know. This is also around the time that Brian Danielson joins the uh, the All Blood Club, and uh, and he starts leaking, and they fight on the edge of the apron again. It's Danielson going for the knee, MJF going after the shoulder, and MJF places Danielson onto the timekeeper's table. MJF climbs to the top, and he goes through with this incredible elbow drop, huge spot in the match, and he's clutching his knee, and then demands that Bryce get into the ring instead of check on Danielson because he wants to win by a count out and Danielson gets in at the count of nine but this elbow drop was spectacular looking I I thought it almost looked like a bit um sloppy and when I yeah like in the way that his legs were kind of like splailing you know uh, towards the end but I thought it worked for the character like he's supposed to be a character that rarely dives off the top rope and so it almost felt like he was going to a direction that he he was desperate to go to because he he's not normally comfortable doing this. But this is also a guy that used to do like Swanton Bomb. So like obviously like I wouldn't put past him if this was all the work too. Well, and it, when he's climbing up, it, like it looked like he almost like lost his footing on on the top before he like regained his balance. And then remember, he, we're he, like forty uh, something minutes. Oh yeah, finish. yeah. It's um you know the, the time is going by quick. Like there, there was mm-hmm. no drag for me uh, in this match at all. Like they kept the the intensity up pretty significantly. And it, and again, they had a great crowd to. To do this in front of MJF then takes Danielson and hits a tombstone onto the the remnants of the broken table again hurting his knee in the process he's in agony screaming and then hits a heat seeker pinning Danielson at uh, 40 40 minutes or so so he now goes up 3-2 but they explain his knee is too hurt and he can't capitalize to go for a follow-up cover which I thought was a great little attention to detail mm-hmm. um also throughout this, MJF is constantly going for water. 
And this would all play itself out at the end. But it's like this idea that he is struggling to keep up with Danielson and has got to like hydrate himself. So uh, this to me sells the the sort of attraction of an Iron Man match. You're getting to see a performer get into territory that you've never seen him get into before. And I thought MJF sold this really well through the constant water breaks and later on the oxygen breaks as well. You need to convey to the audience that you're barely surviving, you know, towards these final 15 minutes. And and I thought he it was very effective what he did. Then with, with Danielson selling, um, he gets his hands stomped. And now MJF is looking to the camera with Danielson. Say hi to Birdie and Buddy. I told you this would happen to Dada. And, uh, and both Bellas were at the show as, as well. Oh, okay. Danielson then reverses. And he ends up posting MJF on the floor. Hits a flying knee. And then Danielson climbs to the top. And he just like free falls on top of MJF. Which Taz says... There's no lucha name for that. I mean, he just like jumped off and was like his body weight was going to land on his target. I mean, technically, I think it was a plancha, but sure. Um, sure. This was a uh, this is like a dude just dr- jumping into the pool without any concern. Uh, there's a spider suplex by Danielson and then lands a diving headbutt, which ends up opening up MJF. And when I say opened him up, I mean, this man lost about 10 uh, percent of his body weight with this blood loss. It's this was his bl- tribute to Muto. Yeah, it's the type of blood that I think if I showed a still of it, I think this video would get flagged and, I, and maybe possibly de- demonetized. Like he might have cut an artery here. It, it, he must have taken blood thinners and just about everything because like the moment he he cut like this dude outbled John Moxley on this show. And I, I, I this was the most blood of anyone on the show. It went yeah, from Jeff. Yeah. He lands a Busaiku knee and then applies the regal stretch and MJF has to tap out. I was glad that they incorporated the regal stretch here for the story mm. and that MJF had to tap out to it. So with 10 minutes to go, it is tied at three and he goes to reapply the move when MJF grabs the arm for the salt of the earth. Danielson rolls out. Now he gets the label lock, but MJF is able to scramble out of it back to the salt of the earth and he figure fours the arm hyper extends the other arm and grabs the leg as he morphs into Max Sabre Jr. <laughs> Very nice. Yes. That uh, maybe he really is going after the Brian Danielson award. I think so. I think he, yeah. he outlined his target earlier in the in the match. Then he hits a heat seeker only gets a two count and we've got four minutes to go. He takes another uh thing of water which leads to the crowd chanting h2o which i'm glad they got over this chant as we're in the last four minutes i don't think we need our comedy chant of the of the night but this was brief mjf stops him on the turnbuckle hits a tombstone the knee is too hurt and they do a close-up and they had done a headbutt exchange and they're of course delivering strikes and stuff so i don't know what it was that hit him but he's got this welt on his forehead that is going to look awful tomorrow brian or mjf MJF like it was just this knot on his forehead um, Hmm. that they had zoomed in on and then Danielson catches him with the single leg crab with a minute left and this crowd goes nuts they have peaked this perfectly they are Mm -hmm. so loud he pulls MJF to the center and MJF is about to tap but then he stops himself awesome reaction here and then Danielson hooks the other arm in the final seconds the bell rings and then MJF taps but the match is over and it is a 3-3 tie after 60 minutes. They have to get an oxygen tank for MJF, taking us back to a double or nothing last year with, uh, with Wardlow. Remember when they had to take him out on the gurney? 
And, they and there were was putting, an oxygen tank? They put the oxygen mask. Remember, it was like on his uh, – <laughs> they, they <laughs> right. screwed it up on him, and they were taking him out on the, on the like gurney. His, his, his head – his forehead was the – Yeah, oxygen. it was on his forehead. <laughs> They were much be- right. they were they were much um, better trained this time <laughs> around a year later, um, and the crowd is chanting bullshit because they're thinking that MJF retains the title uh, based on them hitting the time limit. But the sixty minute portion, your your thoughts on how uh, it culminated? Fucking remarkable, absolutely. You know, and, and like to me, like again, the Iron Man match on the surface it feels like maybe a really long movie for you, John. Like you might not necessarily be looking forward to watching a three hour movie in a the theater. But I think, you know, almost in every situation, by the time we get to the final 10 minutes, you might be on your feet. You might be watching. You might be like, you know, screaming your head off. And that's exactly what I think this crowd did. Like by the moment they got to the final 10 minutes, especially with the great job they did telling that story of MJF's exhaustion, along with both of their body parts fall, you know, basically falling off. I thought they built a, such an incredible crescendo, especially, um, you know, for those final seconds with the single leg crap. Um I love the oxygen mask, you know, like, again, you have a guy bleed this much. It's incredibly legitimate that they would be barely like surviving on on a lack of oxygen right here. So I thought it completely made a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And Tony Schiavone gets the instructions in his earpiece and he goes to the ring and says that Tony Khan is not going to let this end in a draw. So we're going to sudden death rules. And the whole crowd is chanting yes. MJF then shoves Bryce. And Danielson gets a roll up for a two count. Max hits the low blow. So they're teasing that, that man, they're going to end this off like a low blow. And then MJF grabs the belt. But he's warned by Bryce. You use that belt, then you're going to lose the belt. So go right ahead. And he hands over the title. And with Bryce going to remove the title from the ring, MJF pulls out the ring. But Danielson ducks and hits a poison Rana. 62 minutes in, he's going for a poison Rana. Hits the Busaiku knee. And this was the best near fall of any match on this show. This crowd, they bit on this Busaiku knee. And Mm -hmm. Shivani screamed. It was the most animated I've heard Tony Shivani in decades. Um, This, I think it, it, it... Everyone bit on this. It was a tremendous, tremendous near fall. Yeah, it's all everything here in the sudden death. I thought was very, very believable. Every false finish. He goes back to the half crab on on MJF, and this is when Bryce sees the ring and he takes the ring off of his finger. And MJF is fighting the hold. He slaps the mat, but he's not tapping out. Reaches the rope, and then he taps. And Danielson releases the hold because he thinks MJF has tapped out, not realizing he's at the rope. And Bryce is informing him that the match is continuing. So Max has slithered to the floor and he's got the goddamn oxygen tank. And Brian peers over the edge of the apron and MJF cracks him with the oxygen tank in the head. And with that, applies the label lock onto Danielson. And Bryce takes the arm and he lifts it once. And this is when I'm like, the Samoa Joe finish was amazing. He lifts it up twice. And then Danielson on three keeps his arm up. But MJF will not release the hold. And therefore, Danielson finally has to tap at 516 of the sudden death period. MJF retains the championship. And that's how the show ends with MJF as your AEW champion. Excellent match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what what can you say? You know, um, we saw two men go out there and have a 
65 minute masterpiece you know they set out with that intention and they completely delivered um both i think a, an incredible physical feat a very legitimate physical feat and also an incredible epic story that they crafted by the end of it to me this is up there with osprey and omega as two my two leading match of the year candidates um one of the best matches i've seen from both men i I, i'm maybe pretty safe to say my favorite mjf match i only hesitate with brian because his catalog is so vast and i but it's certainly up there um one of if not the best iron man match i feel like i've ever seen at 60 minutes length they went 65 minutes following three hours Four hours, right, of, of professional wrestling. Something like that. Three to four hours. I mean, the first match was around 7.15-ish. Yeah. And one of those matches was a Texas death match. And not for one second of this entire 65 minutes was I ever not engaged. I think the spacing out between this and the Texas death match ultimately became very effective because as soon as uh, Brian bled, as soon as MJF bled, I was not even thinking about the Texas death match. Like, I thought their blade jobs were completely, and I was not necessarily even comparing them. Although, you know, you might have even seen more blood here every action every spot of this match had some purpose i thought they chaptered it really well using the respective body parts uh, injuries i thought the blood was incredibly uh effectively used particularly by mjf to sell the exhaustion reached by the end of this you know 60 minute time limit and um this is also like maybe part of the reason why I wanted to sell the why I, why I was hoping that they would sell the Iron Man aspect a little bit more in the storytelling because I knew by the time they got to this point it this would be the story who can survive you know but, but when when you get to 50 minutes you know 60 minutes plus um but great drama achieved especially in the sudden death really strong and almost a perfect 60 minute Iron Man match Yeah I I think you got two very legitimate match of the year contenders on this show between the the the, two, the Texas Death Match and the main event, and I, I I enjoyed both like tremendously. To have two matches like that on a show is incredible. Uh, say nothing of the trios match um, that was uh, the trios championship match that was on earlier. This was I thought this was a spectacular show. Like I would really have to look at. Um, so, some of the best AEW shows, but I would certainly put this one in the conversation. I really, really enjoyed this show. I just thought it was like an excellent professional wrestling pay-per-view and would certainly be my, we can debate match of the year at this point, uh, show of the year. I think this is my early candidate for show of the year. Yeah. I, I Again, and I think much of that is because you can look at this show and you can look at the percentage of what great matches there were to just the number of matches. The fact that there are only nine matches and almost all of them were strong is a major part of the reason why I think we're looking so fondly on this. I also want to say, because just because the result is good, to me does not excuse the build. This was a very heavily criticized build. And I don't want people to come come out after and say, see, I told you guys this was going to be great. You were so negative about the build. The show is the show. But how yeah. interested you get people into buying the show is almost a different story. Like that's what you're we, selling. You're you're selling the the anticipation. Like that yeah. is like the end result is the you know for those that you convince to buy the show. Exactly. The end, like the show itself, I think is a great way to entice people to get your next show. But if you didn't entice people to get the show in the first place, then you it's almost a different conversation. So ultimately, we'll see what the what the numbers are. If we do get those numbers, we have some from from the uh, uh, press conference. Um, I take it. But early strict, estimate, yeah. strictly looking at the belt to belt action on this. Yes, it was remarkable. I have to say, you know, looking at the quality. Absolutely. And this is. Um, 
you know, this is the the first show. Well, it, it's the second show with MJF, you know, very much um, in, in this main event role. Like he had the punk match a, a year ago, but then, you know, challenging for the title, not defending the title. Like this is one that it is uh, very much of like the the MJF Danielson program. Like this is not a show where um, like I think the lion's share is on MJF and Danielson. Like the Texas death match was promoted well as your number two match, but this was one where we had a definitive main event. That was mm-hmm. the headline attraction for the show. Yeah. And ultimately a good decision to put it at the end. Cause they more than survived, you know, the, the, the billing. All right. At this point, we will open it up uh, to anyone that wants to call in. You can join in. The StreamYard link was sent out earlier today. We will also be getting to your feedback at forum.postwrestling.com. And, of course, Super Chats are welcome, to if you are in the live chat and want to chime in with any of your thoughts. We'll do our best to get to as much of the feedback as possible because uh, there's quite a bit. Let's first jump into a super chat here from John Taylor, who sends $10. Thank you so much for the support, John Taylor. He says, I almost didn't buy this pay-per-view because I was underwhelmed at the build, but it ended up being one of my all-time favorite AEW pay-per-views. So I think that is um, a wonderful sort of like result for AEW to hear that type of feedback because it tells you even when they might falter on the weekly TV, they have still built enough trust in among their audience to you know, for them to recognize that they will constantly deliver quality when they ask you to pay $40, $40 a month, or sorry, uh, four times a year. So, yeah, excellent. Uh, shall we go to our first call? Yes. Let's go first to uh, Jason. I'm going to go to you, so please unmute yourself. Jason was actually live in attendance at the show tonight. Hey, guys. Uh, first time I've actually called in and uh, flew in from Vancouver for the show. Uh, had the very wow. weird experience that the last time I was at a pay-per-view, uh, Chris Jericho closing it at uh, WrestleMania 18 and then opening it here. So uh, oh, wow. that was quite the experience. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah. Really great show. I'll be honest. Uh, flying in, I was feeling a little bit underwhelmed by the, the build, but they definitely delivered. Uh, I would say probably the biggest pop was uh, for the House of Black winning the trios titles. Uh, I, th- I thought the, the main event was great, but uh, you could definitely feel people... Uh, a little bit kind of burnt out by the end, but uh, a great match nonetheless. Uh, I would say the only the, the only match that felt like it kind of underwhelmed was the uh, the four way tag match, but otherwise, uh, I would say from a live experience, a great time to to see my first uh, AEW pay per view, and uh, definitely one that I'm going to remember for a long time. How, how I know you talked about kind of like towards the end of the Iron Man match, but overall, did you sense like the crowd w- was with it throughout? Because it, it sounded pretty lively throughout. Like it didn't seem like the audience was, you know, sitting on their hands at any point. But what, what did you sense from the live crowd throughout the 65 minute experiment? Oh, maybe we oh, lost Jason. Jason. Okay. He had a flight to catch maybe. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, have a safe trip back to Vancouver, but thank you so much for calling in and uh, hope you had a great time. Uh, also from the West Coast, actually, uh, we go to BC and Bruce Lord. What's going on, Bruce? Uh, yeah, yeah. Firmly on the West Coast. Did not travel out to see this show. Although, my God, uh, after seeing it, kind of kind of feeling envious of Jason and everybody who did. Like, you know, yeah, to quote Moxley, oh boy, uh, this, this was one hell of a show. John, you were talking a minute ago about how does this stack up in comparison to other uh, AEW shows. And I did kind of go back and kind of look at the the, the cards for things like all out 2021 uh, forbidden door and everything. And I kind of have to feel like this, you know, with 
if you wanted to tell me that any of those kind of three major matches, you know, were arguably your match of the year, I wouldn't argue with you at all. And any card that has three matches of that quality, but also I think just really satisfying conclusions to some very longstanding feuds, uh, you know, can't really be viewed as anything but a home run. Um, I thought that in particular, the pacing and kind of match structure of this show uh, went really, really well. Um, my friends and I were sort of talking, kind of going into the show about how, okay, you've got like a very stip-heavy blow-off to a long-standing feud in um, Jungle Boy versus Christian, and then something pretty similar in Page versus Moxley, but the fact that those were kept apart from each other and I thought had like really different kind of feels and moods and flavors from one another made sure that none of the really major matches kind of got lost in the wash uh, and coming out of this card, I feel like you've got a really clear uh, closing of the book on a number of very long-standing AEW stories, and then also a whole bunch of really exciting opportunities and possibilities uh, coming forward. You've got an elevated uh, page. You've got a very heel-leaning BCC. And I think, you know, not to kind of put too fine a point on, on it, but, like, coming out of that Iron Man performance, you now have a very credible, like, in-ring fighting heel champion in MJF who will not be taken as lightly or will not be sort of uh, treated in storyline. I think the way he was heading into this match, it's one of those cases where like, I kind of feel like the kayfabe storyline of, you know, MJF feeling like he needed to measure up to Danielson kind of matched up with the broader meta fan commentary. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it just can't be viewed as anything but a, but a massive, massive success at that level. And you've also introduced you, you have seen where the BCC is leaning towards and Danielson has sort of been on his island, but given the finish of it, it's almost like you have opened the door now of Danielson, you know, having this, this loss by this nefarious means that you can give more of an edge to Danielson if you want to keep him linked with BCC. And he now has that, that motivation if you want. And all of a sudden you've got some incredible options as, as heels. Yeah, definitely. And we know we know that that's kind of, you know, thinking about the yeah, I think I kind of like fired a question at you guys a week or two ago, sort of saying, oh, OK, if Starks does kind of, you know, win the blow off with Jericho, where does he go? You know, who is a, a heel that he could possibly be paired up with? And I would absolutely love to see Starks mix it up with either Mox or Danielson uh, coming out of that. So so, yeah, like this, this kind of really feels like a throwback to I don't, I don't even know when it would be, but just a very particular time that almost kind of, you know, predates your monthly pay-per-views or, or your kind of like special, you know, mega TV shows or something like that, where everything feels like it had been building up for so long. Like I know that, you know, technically, you know, revolution is one of the smaller of the four, you know, AEW pay-per-views, but this really felt like a nice kind of like major closing of a whole bunch of really key stories and chapters. Uh, and there's, there's all sorts of places to go. And I think, you know, whether it is you know where MJF goes, or again the 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 Hobbs and um, uh, the Hobbs and Starks match coming out of this, that's great. I think everybody is really really excited to see a reinvigorated uh, House of Black now just tearing it up with anybody and everybody uh, who who would come into this. So yeah, I mean you know a, a couple you know you, we've already seen a couple of super chats and people commenting about the fact that you know okay yeah maybe not the best build, but again as a couple of people have said. Uh, I kind of feel like that's almost kind of become 
something that almost AEW pushes back against is the sense that, okay, maybe the build hasn't been the best. Maybe a couple of the storylines haven't uh, been as clear and direct as they can be. And everybody just has an extra fire uh, under them to, to really, really deliver. And I just think everybody really did tonight. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate the call. Night, as guys. always. Uh, just a few notes here from the the press conference uh, that I've seen uh, Brandon Thurston send out. So the gate was uh, over eight hundred thousand uh, dollars, doing over eight thousand paid, and noting that for the pay per view buys, uh, he was asked about it and said it looked to be in line with some of our recent shows, probably up from Full Gear and possibly in line with what we've been doing for Full Gear, Forbidden Door, and some of these shows. That's in the range of one thirty to one hundred forty thousand buys, and he also got specific that. Honor Club, they're at about 12,000 subscribers uh, thus far. And he he seems to be very happy with, with that figure this, this early since, well, the show launched on Thursday. Excellent. All right, let's go up next to Brian. Brian, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi, guys. Yeah, going great, after, especially after that show. I thought it was outstanding. And, uh, yeah, uh, really good pace to the pay-per-view overall. And specifically in the main event, which I thought was excellent all around and extremely successful. Uh, you know, Danielson is Danielson, but, you know, I'm very happy for MJF for everything he accomplished here. And lots of instances uh, throughout the show of homegrown stars getting wins over WWE alumni. Uh, so really kind of really make a statement there, save for House of Black being the beating the elite. And But, uh, but even that match was Brody King, you know, who, who's not a WWE guy. That's true. Yeah, he's the only. Yeah, he and Julie Hart are are the only outliers aside from. Uh, the, the point is, you're second. making news. You're making new stars. You know, and yeah. the lead and the Bucks are already there. But Brody King ha- had a big, big one tonight. That's true. Very true. And uh, yeah, I'm skeptical of the final burial going in. That exceeded my expectations vastly. And uh, Texas Death Match, I thought was great. Not Death Match guy, but with wrestlers the caliber of Moxley and Hangman, I thought it was really well done. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really happy for the House of Black winning, um, and I think they're the coolest act that they, they have, that they haven't done enough with until now, and I just want them to become the final bosses, the three-headed Goro of this fledgling trio's division. Um, but uh, two questions going, just to close out my call. Uh, after their respective losses, do you see Omega and the Young Bucks going their separate ways in the near future, not severing their friendship, but just pursuing their separate goals now that they're not champions? And does Moxley finally get his fishing vacation after this loss? Oh, yeah, the elusive fishing, fishing vacation. Is it fishing season in uh, Cincinnati around now? <laughs> um, I would not know. I'm in New Jersey. Didn't he already go, like, ice fishing or something? Or that's what he wanted to do. I'm, I'm sure he would have hopefully found time. If he hasn't done it yet, he he won't do it. In all honesty, so. to sell the effects of a match like that, he, he should probably be off for at least a couple of weeks, I, I would I would think. But um, we will see. <laughs> he'll that, be uh, bleeding on Dynamite He'll be Wednesday. bleading on Wednesday <laughs> in Sacramento. And then again um, on Rampage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to the Omega Bucks question, I would like to see the Bucks get a bit more involved in, in the tag division. I think they need that. Um, Omega is another uh, individual that y- you can go the babyface or heel direction with. You could also have him semi-involved with Takeshita and the Don Callis story. Um, and ultimately, like Omega is one of your title contenders. So again, it's it's sort of like a lot of options that you have at this point of where you go uh, in terms of your main event direction. Because if you're looking ahead to Double or Nothing, uh, Hangman Page is an option. Kenny Omega is an option. I would say those are two 
big ones that that you have at your disposal, and it's it's just finding roles for all these different guys. But I I could see a break from the two from the three of them as as a trios unit, and then you know it's it's finding opponents as well for House of Black, whether it's Death Triangle coming back or some of your other makeshift trios that you have. Yeah, right I think I think definitely guys. by double or nothing you get a singles Kenny match, oh. and I think you get the Bucks in the tag team action. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Omega and uh, Black really stood out well in that trios match, but all six guys look great in that. You could certainly but, do a few matches coming off on TV of the, like some of the participants involved. Like if you don't want to just completely end this stuff with the House of Black and Elite, there are pairings that you could certainly uh, play out on on TV. Like an Omega Malachi Black match would be great to do on, on TV one week. Thanks, Brian, for the call. Appreciate Thank it. you. Let's go up next to Hanzi. Hanzi, welcome to the show. Please unmute yourself, Hanzi. Let's quick. Can you hear me? Hey, now we can. Yep. Hey. Uh, I was going to say that, yeah, no, it was probably one of my uh, favorite pay-per-views. I, I mean, but I think, uh, like, just the the quality when I watched it, that obviously was one of, one of the better performed shows and paced out well. I liked how they did the pre-show. I think they should do that more often. I don't, I don't think you need, like, five matches on the pre-show just for just to get it out there there's you know quality that's cool but this but i remember it, you you give a good showcase for the varsity athletes and all that um my favorite matches were probably christian and uh jungle boy the moxley hangman page and uh the the bride and mjf one I, listen i'm with you that the build wasn't like the super greatest i think the one saving grace for me was that like when when MJF makes you go through different opponents, like he did it with Jericho, and it was already like we already saw battles between them, and it was just like we we're waiting for it to be over. I think the one saving grace from the booking that maybe wasn't perfect was that Brian MJF didn't fight yet. You know what I mean? And I thought like the match was already fresh enough where like they still had me with some of the creative. I didn't like every single thing, every single week that they were doing it. I thought they, I agree with you that they, they, they should have focused more on the uh, the endurance factor about it because they played in, in in there. But I thought phenomenal match, and this is like if you're gonna give me payoffs like this for, for matches with MJF, then I don't. Like, it solidifies my fucking stance. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. It solidifies my stance that um, MJF doesn't have to defend it every single week or every single month or so. You know what I mean? Like if you give me a hot enough program. I'm willing to wait and pay for a pay-per-view where he is defending it. You know what I mean? I would like it to defend for big shows. Maybe you build up a battle of the belts for, for one match with him in it. You know what I mean? But on, on, on the on the, uh, on the um, on the press conference, he was uh, naming possible opponents, and he named some of the guys that you guys are talking about, like Hangman, Jungle Boy. It's It seems, uh, to me personally, I'll, I'll get your thoughts, I think Adam Cole would probably be... Uh, uh, yeah. This would be Adam Cole's first solid way to go at a at a prick heel in a mm-hmm. babyface way, so he can justify why he has to be the prick to this guy. And I think Adam Cole would be a good fodder for uh, for MGF. And I'll, I'll leave you guys with that. And uh, good review uh, and good show this past week. Thank you. Thank you, Hansi. Seems like they're already building to that with like Britt Baker. You know, basically kind of. Um... Cutting down MJF pretty well online and also tonight um, with uh, her her uh, interview with um, Renee. So I think we we might uh, that feels like a perfect direction for Adam Cole. That, that's one. And again, like there was a lot of guys that were not on on this show. So it's um, you know it's it, it does just once again reinforce that 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 depth and mm-hmm. sort of that balance of 
Uh, I think a lot of people enjoyed the format tonight. At the, at the other end, we're constantly bringing up, well, where's this person and where's this person? And there's the balance that, that you want to have as well. Like here was a, a night where no Adam Cole on the show, Jade Cargill, Eddie Kingston, Claudio, Darby, I mean, Sting. It's like... Like these are the people that like they they couldn't find spots for on a pay per view. Like mm-hmm. imagine that like the depth that you're talking about here. If you don't have time to tell a story with them, then I don't have the interest to watch a match with them for no reason on a. Pay-per-view. But then you get a lot of complaints from fans about why you get you're not people giving... complaining no matter what. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just that's a reality of what they they de- they deal with, and I think like there is. Uh, there's the two sides of it for sure. I think tonight we- like showed that this was. A superior at least lineup i mean if they could figure out ways to maybe extend the, the card um to the duration that they happen to like i would have been happy if this show ended at 11 o'clock you know it ended at, at pretty much like closer to 12 but um i don't think any of us would complain if it was quality like a quality eight matches nine matches ending at 11 o'clock i love the format tonight i really enjoyed it qu- quite a bit uh one, one other thing we, we should note they did confirm double or nothing for uh t-mobile arena on may 28th and they're going to do the MGM Grand for a live Dynamite and live Rampage on the Wednesday and Friday that week. So three shows in Vegas, two at MGM, and one at T-Mobile Arena on May 28th, which is the day after um, the WWE King and Queen of the Ring show, which is now happening in Saudi Arabia. Right. Okay. Cool. Uh, let's go to your written feedback for our postwrestlingcafe.com patrons at form.postwrestling.com. Would you like me to start, John? Sure. Saeed from Vancouver says, fun pay-per-view with great to amazing wrestling. The crowd was here for all of it. Just a slight dip in the Joe versus Wardlow match. Match of the night was the trios. That knee buddy gave looked brutal near the end. Julia Hart took a V-trigger that some in the past took at took at V-trigger than some in the past. Impressive, okay? Didn't think I'd ever uh, have to change the channel during a pay-per-view, but I did. I could do some violence, but when the fork came out, I had to change. <laughs> oh, mm. the fork was too much. Uh, he says, you know, you could, you could look away. You don't have to change the channel. You could, you could just like look the other way. He says, good on Will Washington for getting that kid merch and AEW to help smooth things over by having Amanda Huber sit with him. Guess MJF will be talked to not to throw drinks at kids. Well, Enjoy there you the- go. And that's, uh, that's, that sounds like obviously a situation that MJF is playing his, his heel role and called the audible to dump a drink on a kid. Enjoy the Iron Man match. Match was planned very well. Love the near falls and got the crowd on what used to be cliche finishes. Cody from Maine. Uh, in my feedback for the most recent Dynamite review, I mentioned that this pay-per-view had the lowest interest level for me since the no-crowd pandemic days. That said, I certainly made the right call in ordering the event. This was easily one of AEW's best events ever. The matches delivered on all fronts, even the tag title match that I was flat-out wrong about. It served as the perfect fun buffer match before the main event. Very intrigued to see if FTR is sticking around or if this program with the guns will be their last in AEW. Crowd stayed hot, and perhaps more importantly, they got it 100% right when it came to the winners, especially in the case of Hangman Page being the first to make Moxley tap out in AEW is huge. Yeah, yeah. Is, um, is that right? Like, the first time? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, geez, so. the losses you can probably count on one hand, and certainly tapping out, that's that's the first. So it it's not just a win, but it's like a signature win that Hangman has above anyone else in AEW over Moxley. Pete in Texas says, Is it now sink or swim time for talent like MJF, Starks, Wardlow, Hobbs, Hater, Baker, Guns, Acclaimed? Can they all get a push at once? How often should older talent get over without stunting their growth? Thanks, Pete in Texas. Um, I don't think MJF is in a uh, sink or swim uh, position on the show. I mean, 
tonight was like him being the lead of a pay-per-view you know in a championship match like he is in a position where he has to deliver like arguably but when we're talking about whether or not he's like at the top of the card i mean he is justifiably at the top of the card but it's still a lot of demands on uh, for somebody like him Um, yeah i i i think he's doing really great in in the role i would say for Ricky Starks, I think it's 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 maintaining the momentum he has. I don't think it's at the level he did in December for the MJF program. At the same time, it's it's not a, a significantly diminished level he's at. But you know, at that point, you're challenging for the champion, and now you're you, you're in a, a feud away from that main event scene. Wardlow and Hobbs, I think that they're, the pressure is on for those two. Not just this match, but you know, ascending to the next level, and that's. That's certainly going to be uh, a focus coming out of this pay-per-view for them. I think Jamie Hayter is doing really great in her role. Um, the the guns are, you know, they're not going to be everyone's cup of tea because they're not going to be your level of some of your other tag champions. And like a program with the guns and the young bucks, um, maybe that'd be great for them to to work with those guys. Yeah, I think there's enough material for all of these like um, you know homegrown talents that I think they'll have more than just the chances that they're currently getting with these championships or like their featured programs. Um, the point of featuring them right now is so that eventually they become, you know, a, an established level and, and you get there by at least putting them on TV and putting them in significant storylines. So I don't necessarily think for any of them, it's sink or swim, like, you know, to the point where like, if they fail with the storyline, they'll never get a push again. I think this is part of the push. This is part of like the whole process, win or lose, like success or fail. They, they are on their way. Mark writes, an all-timer of a pay-per-view, my only minor complaint would have been swapping the positioning of the Mox-Hangman match with the Wardlow-Joe one to allow fans to be more alive for the TNT Championship match and not coming down from the epic Texas death match. It feels like for the first time since All Out, there's an absolute clean slate for story development and no worries about restructuring plans for who is there and who isn't there. While TV has been a mixed bag lately, the show in front of an all-time great, nearly 10,000 audience in San Francisco truly made this company feel hot. I usually hate Iron Man matches but they did a great job of keeping fans on the edge of their seats a completely satisfying and exciting show up next luke from quebec from a match quality and work rate standpoint there's no denying this was an awesome show that delivered from top to bottom the trios match and the main events were absolutely amazing however i don't think that should eclipse the fact that many of the stories and feuds leading up to this event were poorly built and having only one women's match on the card in 2023 is unacceptable tony is lucky to have an incredibly talented locker room because the booking and creative has not been great at a time when the competition competition is offering a bloodline storyline AEW needs to step up Curious to know if you think throwing water at a kid in the front row is going too far for a heel. That team seemed to spark a big debate during the show. Yeah, I, I don't think you should be going to that that level in in this day and age with with a child. Um, if you're MJF, though, like that's a source of heat and and he's going for it. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't think the fallout is going to be all that significant, but I, I don't think you want a, as a company to be allowing for that type of thing, especially with kids involved. No, I think um, doing anything to a child is going to be more touchy territory these days. Um, like, I remember, like, you know, the, the Sasha Banks-Bailey match and where, like, uh, Izzy, you know, like, she, she got the bow taken off of her head. And I, I feel like we approach the line as soon as we make any sort of physical contact with the child. Like, it's one thing to taunt. It's one thing to, like, maybe show a cutaway of a kid, kid crying. But 
doing like throwing something at a kid or taking something off their head, I think we certainly draw a line there. Um, and like, like the kid that was crying that we mentioned on SmackDown, like they brought her backstage to meet Liv Morgan afterwards just because she was crying because of the result of the match with Liv. Yeah, but that was unprovoked. You know, yeah, I'm not just saying like that's the extent that they felt they had to do some make good just because a child was crying and it was not even something that was incited by a performer. You should. Yeah. And then make good cost them nothing. It's like it's good PR for them. And it's just like it's it's a good thing you should do. So it sounds like they've already done that. Throwing water on a child that is not expecting it. I think that crosses the line. Yeah. And and there's. And everyone's going to have their like, I would also say it's like, I don't think promotions typically want like performers even like tearing up uh, a, a kid's sign. I would also say if you were that kid and your favorite wrestler or your least favorite wrestler tore up your sign, you're going to remember that forever. And it, it, it's probably a great story that you have now getting water on you. Probably not. But so what um, if it was sorry? What if it was your least favorite wrestler? Like what is, what, well, what I mean, they're 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 a heel, right? And you're a little kid. It's probably not going to be a baby face that's tearing up your sign. You know what I mean? Right. So, I mean, hopefully this kid will will look back upon this with with good memories. But even so, like that might not be a complete excuse for you know getting water thrown on you if you didn't expect it. But if you're MJF, it's like you want this reaction and the idea that he he actually did it. Uh, it was not a plan. Um. It's more heat on me, and I think that's what he's operating from right now. Like, look at look at the yeah. material he's going for in his promos at, at this point. Like, yeah. he's going uh-huh. for the he's going as much up to, if not skirting across the line as he can, because yeah. he does he does not want to be the cool heel. He does not want to have anyone. But what happens when you actually cross the line? Like, what happens if there's a lawsuit coming off of something like this? What is that actual line that's too far? And I think that's. It? I think that's what he's dancing with, like in this. In and this case. should you be allowing your talent to to dance so freely when there's so much on the line for you as a company? No, no, you you shouldn't. But I also don't see uh, AEW like suspending this guy over an action like that either. So that's that's the game you're playing. Uh, let let's keep going here. Uh, Luke from Quebec from a I match. Just did co- that. Oh, sorry. Um, next Shane. one is Shane here. Uh, Live from Revolution, we were at the show. The crowd was hot the whole way through, and the building was pretty full compared to the Cow Palace shows. That sudden death portion was the most fun I've had at a wrestling show in a long time. A fun fact that Kenny's jacket he wore to the ring is from like a Dragon Ishin, a video game he has a small appearance in. Yes, this was this blue and white uh, jacket that he was wearing. It looked uh, looked very cool, but I did, it did not know what its significance was. Let's go to Jay from Colorado. Roses are red, violets are blue. For the fifth time in a row, AMC forgot to order the pay-per-view. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Because they were doing this in theaters. Uh Uh-oh. Missed out on the first two matches. You would think I'd learned my lesson by now. Oh, man. But at least they've refunded me each time it's happened, so that's a feather in my cap. Anyways, the rest of the show was great. Then the Iron Man match definitely delivered. I don't think anyone went into think into it thinking Danielson had a chance, but they kept it interesting enough to not let it drag on at a few points. They definitely had me believing Danielson could win. Fantastic match. Maybe that's a fight TV order next time. Uh, five times in a row, I'd be like, you know what? Uh, I'm kidding. Hey, did you did you see Fight TV? They've already uh, upped the uh, the price for Fight TV or Fight Plus, I should say. Oh, how much? It's uh, they added like it's now uh, two dollars extra. I think I think it's like seven ninety nine a month now, uh, up from five. Okay, so, justifiable. 
Dustin from Maui, the Jungle Boy Jungle uh, the Jungle Boy Christian match was way better than I expected and might have been one of the matches of the night. Buddy Matthews knee into Nick's 450 is the move of the night. I popped the hardest for House of Black winning and it's time for Kenny to go back to singles and Bucks to fill the tag division again. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you, Dustin. And yeah, that was, I was not so worried about the match with Christian and Jungle Boy. It was the stipulation. And if that was going to override things, but man, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. And that, that turned out to be really well executed. At no point did we, did it, you know, cross the barrier of being goofy or kind of over the top, like in a, I don't know, sports entertainment, Undertaker like level. Like it, it just felt like, yeah, it just felt like a violent fight that ended with the closing of a casket. So, right. yeah. Eddie from Austin says, I have one sentence match notes for you. Jericho and Starks, the crowd is loud. Jungle Boy Christian, wearing a sleeveless turtleneck for some reason. Call of the night. Trios championship. Okay, I'm sorry. I can't go through everything. But okay. um, awesome show. Glad I got off work in time, and I feel like it was worth my money. All right. Muggin writes, uh... A good pay-per-view that was elevated to great in large part by the Iron Man match. Starks, Hangman, House of Black, and Jack Perry got the wins they needed to stay relevant, especially Ricky, who escaped the Jericho-verse in a much better position, and Wardlow got his image rehabbed. We got Andrew from St. John who says, I like this show a lot. Three of the matches were absolutely great, and almost all the rest were pretty good. Elite versus House of Black reminded me of the chemistry between the Shield and the Wyatts, and I hope there are more matches. I put my Brian Superfan hat on and was a little deflated by the finish, but I think the storytelling was great. Mox Hammond was brutal and violent in a way that totally delivered. I loved it and see it as my match of the show. Finish reminded me of when the Hangman character was starting in ROH in New Japan and would hang people with the noose until Paige apologized for it being a little disturbing. I, this felt like crossing the line in a good way, but safe enough to not be truly disturbing. Okay, uh, I believe this is Javi. He was there live and had so much fun to say that more than 90% of the crowd was on their feet for the sudden death is an understatement. That main event and the Texas death matches are matches that I'd personally say could be included among all of the performers best in their careers. The pop for FTR was awesome, and I hope it came through as well as it seemed live. It sounded like an awesome crowd. The crowd had a big part in tonight's success on, on the show. Brian from Chicago says, I went out to Max Wood Grilled here in Chicago, a bar that hosts all AEW pay-per-views, and what a show. The place was packed and excited for the, from the zero hour. Jungle Boy Christian blew the ridiculous gimmick match out the water. Texas Deathmatch did it perfectly. The tag title match had the bar hooting and hollering. The whole bar lost it when FDR came out. The Iron Man match was beautiful storytelling, and while it ended as many speculated, suspected with MJF going over, people were sold that Danielson could go over. I especially love the quick pin moments mid-match that racked up the count. I feel a lot of excitement for multiple ankles coming out of this. Omega back to singles, Jungle Boy, FTR Guns, Ricky Starks, MJF, Hangman, and more. While I felt least excited for this pay-per-view in AEW history, my goodness, did it deliver. And the last word goes to Wolfman Handsome. Great show. Everything that needed to happen did. Sometimes we get too many old boy wins with Jericho and Cage in prominent matches, but the fresh talent came out on top and new champions were crowned. This was a big test and a big moment for MJF, and he hung with Dragon all the way through. I particularly enjoyed the moment in the match where both were on the mat with direct shots shots of their faces. Dragon laughing and MJF crying. A delightful storytelling visual indeed, but honestly, the real story coming out of the pay-per-view is whether or not Moxley is finally going to take that bloody vacation. Everyone's favorite fishing expedition, John Moxley's, that everyone's rooting for. I mean, if that guy who is never on Twitter, if he just made a Twitter post and he's at a lake with a, with a rod, it would be the most popular Twitter post this year. I think it's pretty clear 
matches like this are his vacation. Bleeding on national TV in the, one of the most violent spectacles that you'll see. Like or, that's or his, at the showboat in Atlantic City for GCW. Yeah. I mean, the this man's... is what he does to relax and unwind. And I'm very happy that he gets to experience it. And we are glad that you experienced tonight's AEW Revolution post-show. Uh, thank you to everybody for joining us. We are going to be back on Monday night with Rewind to Raw live at 11 Eastern here. Same channel, same place. And also a programming note for Post Wrestling Cafe members. We will be doing a live edition of Ask Away this Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So you can either submit your questions at forum.postwrestling.com or join us live. We will be taking calls on this month's edition of the Ask Away Mailbag Show where all questions are welcome. And you can hop on board for $6 a month at postwrestlingcafe.com. And this month, we've got multiple editions of Rewind Away coming your way as well as a series throughout the month of March where we will be reviewing season five of Drive to Survive every Thursday for cafe members. Uh, this Thursday, we are going to be joined by one of our listeners, JC, who is going to be chatting about episodes four and five. And we will also give our extensive thoughts of the race from Bahrain today and how our fantasy teams are also performing after week number one. So that's coming out on Thursday. And uh, of course, Big week of WrestleMania coverage coming up at the end of the month. So $6 gets you in the door at postwrestlingcafe.com. And you can also join on board video.postwrestling.com to see our wonderful faces attached to all of our soothing voices. And uh, with that, uh, Max Verstappen is uh, stopping by Way's place outside, it sounds like. So uh, we are going to sign off, uh, but not before waiting tells us the following message. Drink water and... Uh... Breathe often. Bye-bye. H2O. H2O. Goodbye.